So there were two things that I like immediately when I first watched it, the first time watching it through. Now now I'm like, I love it. The first time I was terrified. <laughs> like this was like some haunted house bullshit. <laughs> like, oh my god. <laughs> Keep driving, don't stop. <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys rewatch podcast. As always, a reminder that we spoil the series from beginning to end because we're rewatching. We've seen it all. You hopefully have seen it all. If not, you should. And then come back and hang out with us. You are here with Beep, and I'm joined as always by the lovely Cece. Hey! And please welcome back our friend Alicia, our Alice in Wonderland expert. Hello! Yay, Alicia, you're back! Yay, for this episode! Yay. For this one! <laughs> we have decidedly no Alice in this episode, I don't think. <laughs> no, no, she's in the next one! There's there's the, the go down the rabbit hole, drink me, is in the next one! We're so close! Uh, <laughs> you will, well, unfortunately, yeah. you will not be here for the next one, because... Terry Metalis is going to be here for the next one. Discussing this season two finale, which he wrote. So I forgive you for not having exciting news. (laughs) (laughs) It's so exciting. It's so exciting. We'll get into it, but I feel like there's so many layers to all of this now that we know the end. So I'm super curious, sort of about kind of digging into all of those. Uh, And I love the last episode that you guys did with him. It was so good. I love hearing him talk, and you guys asked such good questions. It was great. Aw, thanks, sweetie. Um, okay, holy shit, we're discussing 212, blood washed away. Um, Ah! (laughs) (laughs) all right, beep, you have two enormous casserole shippers on the podcast today, and we are going to be depending on you to uh, rein us in, but we're really, really excited to talk about this episode of TV. (laughs) (laughs) So excited. Oh, Captain, my captain. Oh, you oh got my gosh. <laughs> I've seen this episode again three times in the last week, so <laughs> there are a lot of feels. So many feels. All right. So this one, um, if it's any indication, it's the one-two punch of written by Sean Tretta, directed by David Grossman. Um, I was wondering if we could just talk about some big picture stuff before we're going to take 2044 first and then head to 1957. Um Big picture, we were saying this last week, and I I find myself thinking it again this week, that it is crazy that, again, this is not a season finale. And it is the culmination of so much in so many different ways. So the first I was thinking about is that it, it is almost the culmination of the whole paradoxing primary plot that's been, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of the the main like front of the war that they've been fighting all during season two. It is finally the explanation and answers to the House of Cedar and Pine visions that we have seen since mid-season one, since the first time Cassie was kidnapped um, and given the tea by Olivia in the, I think it was like a, what was it, like a factory, like abandoned factory yeah, yeah. since season one? Yeah. It is the culmination of where is Titan? 
they finally find it. People have been asking about it, looking for it. We've been wondering what Elliot Jones was up to. We don't quite yet understand what it's fully capable of, but we finally see it for the first time. And honestly, um, it's the beginning of Titan too. Like that, they've been talking about it and everything. And, and I, I mean, I know you're going over like the culmination, but like again, it feels like a season finale moment to reveal this, like to reveal Titan, right? Yeah, and it's like a crazy sci-fi what is that moment you know what i mean like it's been like shrouded in mystery what is titan we saw a little bit of a a vision of it through the window but that shot of them Mm -hmm. standing before it you're like oh my god what is that like we just haven't seen anything like that on the show before you know like (laughs) i'll just like as an aside mention that it looks very much like a chemical plant which i find really funny so the first time i watched this episode ever like ages ago i was like what that looks actually weirdly familiar (laughs) anyway that was it what's your phd in again in chemical engineering. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was it was like this weird, actually, I, like I couldn't see it almost as a sci-fi thing because it really looks like an, a regular chemical plant. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of like Homer Simpson's nuclear plant job come to life. Yeah, exactly. No, I've like walked around. Well, okay, I don't, don't work. At, I've never worked at a nuclear plant. I don't know what that's like. But I've like walked through those like pipe arrays and stuff. And I'm like, I feel... I, feel almost certain that they would have shot near somewhere like that because that would actually be a shooting location that's available to them near southern Ontario so like I wouldn't be surprised if it was shot somewhere like that I do have a lot of questions about the actual like mechanics of Titan though I mean, like what is all that <laughs> yes. stuff for exactly what do I mean, you need they, it? they say it's like a city but it's really just like an industrial factory complex yeah yeah, yeah. They happen to have, like, a cult in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, like, there's... power those lights at some point. But then I'm like, why do you need all of the pipe anyway? Anyway. Yeah, we'll go <laughs> We'll go through it. But there, are, when you rewatch it, they are, they are definitely sowing a lot of seeds that we should have been like, what's the deal with this place? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Hannah can't find it. The guy's like, there's blinking lights. It's all, right? Like, mm-hmm. that wouldn't be that strange to people from our era. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Um, And then, obviously, this is the culmination of the now almost two-season-long will-they-or-won't-they casserole romantic tension. And it's, I think, I was trying to think today if I have a, I think this is my top, it's it's one or two, my top favorite, like, TV first kisses, you know, the kind of car crash I'm mad at you, uh, and then ah, I'm going to grab your face. I, <laughs> I love those. Yeah, I love those TV kisses, too. They're in the, oh, we're going to talk about it, but, like, everything about it is is perfect. I'm so happy about it. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, romantic tension, but also talking about really substantive, like, the issues that have been between them, right? Like, mm-hmm. all season. It's just, like... Oh, so it's like the culmination of the actual like primary plot. You've got crazy blowing open of the mythology where it answers so many questions, but then you're left wondering so many more. Um, and then obviously, like it's got this huge emotional punch at the end of this assault of we're going to give you everything you wanted while also watching nothing that you wanted. <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> throats being slit. And I remember like... 
Do you guys remember? Well, Alicia, you watched this much more recently because I remember this ended and my husband and I were just like, we just sat there in silence for like a few minutes. Like, what the f- what the fuck? Um, but you watched this more recently. Mm-hmm. I well, yeah. And I remember when I was watching all of the, I like, I had turned off all the lights and I was watching it on the big screen and like watching it pretty loudly. So like the music and everything all together, like it was a lot. And yeah, like what you're saying, like it's not a season finale. Like I expected it to be. Like it was such a big moment. Um, and then like there was another episode. <laughs> so like I, I wasn't, lo- you know, I hadn't seen the episode list or anything when I was like binge watching the show. I just was watching them one after another. And like, I really couldn't believe that it was like, it was the penultimate ep- episode of that season. Yeah, no, it landed enormously, even even while binging, it la- landed like crazy hard. I, I love it. I've seen it ever since, like, a a lot of times on YouTube, so I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe someday for our birthdays, Beep will create as much as I absolutely appreciate and for even more reasons that I'm about to get into on Rewatch, the way it was edited back and forth from Titan. Mm -hmm. Like, all I want for my birthday is a edited version where it's not interspliced with death. (laughs) That's all I want. sure that's actually possible (laughs) sorry oh man okay so there's a couple things i want us to keep in mind watching this specifically through a rewatch lens um some of the things that hit me are like taking the the 2044 side of the story first the four characters who go into titan so we've got hannah ramsey whitley and deacon I mean, the first thing that kind of hit me is, like, Titan is now, it's our first time we've gone in it, but it's going to be this, like, place where we're going to have so many epic Mm face-offs, right? Like, at the end of now, every single one of the next seasons. But I kept thinking about watching those four characters dying, and I was like, oh, God, those are the four characters that we lose before the series finale. (sighs) Like, beginning with Whitley, right? Yeah. All the way through through Mm -hmm. Hannah. Um, and then, you know, obvi- like when, when you finish the season, the, I took the, the editing back and forth between Cassie and Cole at the House of Cedar and Pine and Death at Titan. I took that as foreshadowing because their union results in the witness that will right, bring about yeah. the end of the world, right? But now, you know, it, I always, like what Beep always says, you always like listen to what Jennifer says, right? And at the beginning of this season, Jennifer said, you know, the end of, you know, you and I together wouldn't be the end of the world, but the two of you together could, like, mm-hmm. would be or could be. Do you guys remember she said that? I think it was in, like, 202 when they were at the Emerson yep. Hotel. And when she so, was mad and sad. Yeah. Yeah, when she was mad. Yes. Um, so now when I watch it, I think depending on how you think the story ends – it either is foreshadowing, like, e- even if you think Cassie stops the countdown, this whole back and forth and the linking of their union and death at the same time and g- juxtaposing that imagery is at least perhaps foreshadowing her temptation, right? Yeah. Like, Cassie comes dangerously close to destroying the universe over her love for Cole. Well, so I think it's also, like, to me, it was also a very literal way to show the the theme of the show, which they keep saying, like, death can be undone, but love cannot. Like, it was it was a very literal way 
to show that at the same time because we know in this loop and even at the end after the show is over because obviously Cassie stops the countdown um love is not not undone but they do undo death of again like of these four people that you said but of of everyone again this time and again at the end so it's like this is the theme of the show and here we're showing it to you kind of as a as a spoiler <laughs> as like a teaser to what actually we're going to show you this whole show is about and that they actually stay consistent with that is I think what I love the most about it is that, you know, they're telling us here, this is what we are and it's okay to believe them because that's what they are. <laughs> that's what the show yeah. ends up being. Oh, that's such a good point, right? Because the death will be undone, but even when he undoes what happens at the House of Cedar mm-hmm. and Pine, she's still going to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, over and I, over too. Yeah. Oh, right, right. She's going to remember in the season finale when he undoes it and she's going to remember again at the end of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think if you're one of those Red Forest truthers and you're and you think <laughs> Cassie chose the Red Forest to go back and live at this place in this time with Cole in the House of Cedar and Pine, then you can watch the end of this episode and sit there nodding your head and be like, "Yep." <laughs> <laughs> right, be- right. This is yep. the union that ends the world. Yeah. And when they got together, they edited it with death. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Or you can see it as foreshadowing for the darkness that is to come. <laughs> exactly. Right, right. I'm gonna. I'm hanging on yeah. tight to that. It was just foreshadowing her temptation. But I mean, even putting that aside, it is. I, I found it really. Um, once you really kind of think about Cassie's journey and. And the themes of the show, as you were saying, Alicia, like love and loss and and living in the now and time fleeting, right? Or as Charlie says, all you're ever going to wish is that you had more time um, that he says in this episode. Mm-hmm. There's something that is really moving about it. one way or another. Cassie is always longing for this place or searching for this place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like for season one and two it was kind of, you know, it was this vision put in her head forcefully by the enemy. And she was trying to, like, you know, obviously put it out of her head. But it, she couldn't escape it and wondering what it means, right? And, like, trying, right? And, yeah. that, and, then, and then it becomes the place for one of the happiest times of her life. Yeah, it's weird because they show it to us in season one. And even now, like, honestly, there were some very creepy moments <laughs> leading into seeing the house. But, like, they show it to us as this really scary thing and actually ultimately it ends up being such a stabilizing force actually and that's like what they choose yeah what you said what Cassie chooses to go back to over and over again because to her that represents like love and kind of where where everything always comes to the comes at the end and I I, like it's weird that that starts off as being such a like creepy location and then we slowly learn that that's actually home well right it it starts out as sinister it becomes home then it then it becomes this place and time that was erased and she's mm-hmm. like, I, I think of her scene with Shaw, right, in season three by the graveside and and kind of recalling what she'll say in the next episode, like we're right where we're exactly supposed to be. And, and then it becomes a symbol of something that's lost. 
yep. for much of the rest of the series. I mean, it at the end of season three, it's going to be home where they're going to bring Ethan back to it. But then the Army of the Twelve Monkeys, it's they're going to watch it burn down. Yeah. Well, I like it that they, yeah, they do kind of take it down. It's attacked, it's burned, etc. But then at the end, we kind of reclaim it too, which is not not only at the not only in the finale where Cassie actually goes and buys it, but even before that, when like. Um, when um, Jennifer is going in to, to egg on Olivia to, to bring her out, she's they kind of go back and reclaim that space, which I really like. And and then finally Cassie at the end buys the house too, which is like kind of this full circle, like, um, you know, you, you I was I was afraid of this place. I was um, this place represented death. This place was attacked, but like I can choose to reclaim it and I can make it home again. Like that, I think that was a really beautiful message too. This like journey of the house. Yeah, it it just comes to symbolize so many different things, mm-hmm. and this is the first episode where we really, instead of it being a, a like a, this kind of eerie, sinister mystery, it starts to mean something else to the audience too. Um, and we will talk about it, but there are some really interesting parallels in the um, Cassie on her own after the coma montage, and and Cassie's montage in yes. the epilogue in the series finale. So there's some great stuff there. Um, there's another um, there's another theme of sort of um, and it's something that Cassie says and it's obviously the name of the next episode and it's been part of the montage I mean part of the mantra of these visions a memory of tomorrow and like that expression in and of itself I mean there's kind there's kind of a different ideas built into that right it's like a you know a feeling of deja vu deja of, vu yeah right yep. of i've been here before but there also is this really interesting relationship between what's inevitable and what's free will right like when Kathy, yeah like mm-hmm. yeah no oh, go ahead go ahead no yeah for for her to go in there and to say i've been in this room before or recognize this room or whatever it is exactly that she says like, but at the same time, she embraces it, <laughs> and in a way that she she know she seems to know that there's a lot of darkness associated with this room. But at the same time, she still chooses to be there, and she still chooses to have this happen the way it's going to happen. And I know there's like one aspect of it which uh, you might look at it as her being kind of resigned to it. But at the same time, the the way that everything is shot in that house so beautifully now, and then even in the next episode, it also feels like she chooses that. And and that like that's kind of what you're saying. There is it does give you that impression of free will, even though you know the cycle is going to continue, and even though she knows that she's going to die at the CDC at some point, like she still actively makes that choice. I, I don't know. That's uh, that's how I come at it from. Yeah, beep. Do you have any ideas about that? How she? Uh, I'm sorry. What do, What do you mean? Like I I feel like you 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 always bring a really good sense of this sort of like inevitability versus free will. And you always point out, like, you know, you pointed out that when we were, for example, in 2016 or 2044, these visions had actually already happened in 1957, mm-hmm. you know? And now mm-hmm. now that they're there, it's just, there's this, there's just these really interesting, like, fact, like, there's chance, right? Cole just was driving down the street and saw this for sale sign, right? Like, it doesn't get any more, like... Um, spontaneous home purchase. <laughs> than that, it has nothing right? to do with Cassie. Nothing, right? But but they, but the but season four Olivia knows this place, right? I mean, part of the, what's so interesting watching this episode now 
as you watch both these missions unfold and ultimately end in failure, um, whether it's going to Titan in 2044 or trying to stop the paradox in 1957, the witness has done things to set into motion all of the things that happen, right? She planted... They, they they fed them the information about through the pallid man about 1957 in the first place. She planted the visions in Cassie's head of the house in Cedar and Pine. She planted the visions of Titan, right? Which is what led Cassie to tell Ramsey, which is the whole reason why they're on this mission, right? So like, in addition to sort of the like deja vu, how is this a memory of tomorrow, right? But there's still some free will and that they're finally choosing to come together. There's this larger kind of inevitable loop that's at play because the witness has set them on a purposefully on all of their paths right like season oh, yeah, four the, olivia knows this is all gonna happen and has done things to make sure that it does well and the in the first watch I, that on rewatching, that's definitely true in the first watch we still think athens the or we still we still are about to find out i guess that her um, that their son is the witness too so it's like Oh, then the 12 monkeys have been doing everything they can to get them in this house. Yes. But right. somehow they also choose it. Yeah. It's Yeah, this is kind of I mean, it's one of those chicken egg things. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that they're not making choices, but it's just somebody's already seen the choices they were going to make. It doesn't make it any less free will in my mind that they're doing that. Um, yes, I mean, just- cuz even right now, like Cole chose it, sure, but he didn't know anything about, you know, all the visions or anything i mean cassie's never opened up to him about that except for saying she saw titan mm-hmm. so they're making their own choices it's just almost i mean literally someone's been outside of time and seen it and yes they've given them like you know things along the way of like you should take this trip but i i think it's just you know it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy i like that you yeah i like that you said that it um, that they're like watch it. They are seeing the thing, the decisions that Cassie and Cole have made, as opposed to leading them to those decisions. That act that actually makes me feel a lot better about the idea um, of yeah, that that they are making this choice, and somebody's just kind of watching this on a television later and have you know the power of time or whatever, and they can come back and and use those decisions to their advantage as opposed to because yeah the the flip side of that is that they're being led into making these decisions somehow conveniently so that the quote unquote witness Ethan non-witness can be born and and then all of the things that Olivia has seen can can take place there's like two sides I guess too yeah but I don't it's not quite as passive as um it's not like season four Olivia is just sitting in Titan in season four and watching it watching, unfold. Yeah. She says in in like a montage at the end of 45 RPM, she will take steps to ensure her own creation, right? And so mm-hmm. she is, when she was giving instructions to herself in season one or in season two to give Cassie the tea, or whether she was taking possession of Cassie's mind in Meltdown, right? That's where all of these clues that led, that is where all of the characters that we're rooting for, they are where they are because of one way or another, these visions that have been in Cassie's head or Cassie and Cole are in 1957 because the pallid man gave them that clue in Hyena. Yeah, the one, the one point Sure, towards, I just think she's yeah. put, she chose to show them like the tent poles. And they're filling it all mm-hmm. in themselves. Like, I, I just don't think that Olivia is steering 
completely. Yeah, the one point towards the free will aspect is definitely Cole finding the house just randomly. I, I feel like that is something that, um, like, if it had been somehow related to Cassie, I would have definitely felt like, oh, this is more, um, this feels a lot more like uh, the puppet master, like playing, you know, all the strings of the puppets, as mm-hmm. opposed to the fact that Cole finds it kind of independently and randomly, and and then this becomes a part of their story. It also actually makes me feel better about the house, because at first I was like, oh my gosh, how is Cassie staying in this house that she has nightmares about? <laughs> but, right. but then, like, I, I imagine that she's t- reminding herself that, okay, this is already a part of my story, and Cole found this home, and and that's what makes it makes it better than the whole, like, this is the nightmare house. Well, yeah, I mean, I have to, we'll get to it, but I have to confess that initially when she walks in the room with the grandfather clock and you see the the wallpaper, I'm, I was like, oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> is Cole the witness? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I felt really, like, kind of like a sense of, like, oh, my God, it's a trap, you know? Like... And then they quickly pivoted to make me really excited about some other things, right? But, like, <laughs> for for a second there, I was like, oh, God, what does that mean that it's the same room, you know? I think um, in a lot of ways, these things were not only used to create this environment or not, or recreate it, if you will, so that the timeline stays intact, but also to use these things that have been, quote, unquote, witnessed in order to kind of sway Cassie throughout the entire series, of like, look, we know what we're talking about because we knew this and we told mm-hmm. you way before it even happened. And like, you know, this, like, look at all the stuff we've said that is real. Like, the Red Forest is not much of a jump. Like, join the dark side. Oh, interesting. Meaning, like, when like when Shaw sees her at the end of After and we see him and we see the screen turn red and she says, you know, yes to him, that this is just kind of one step along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Their whole discussion about being afraid of not having anything to lose, it is, we'll go through it, but whether it's Charlie and Melinda or Cole and Cassie's conversation in the House of Cedar and Pine, when you watch it now, knowing what the culmination of Cassie's journey is going to be, there's so much to unpack. (laughs) It's really fun. Yes, yeah. No, this is is almost where Cassie's like this part of her journey begins you know we've seen sort of like Dr. Cassie in season one then we've seen this sort of dark Cassie in season two and now we see a Cassie who has suddenly after pretty much this finale and even after this episode a lot to lose so it's like dark Uh, Cassie with a lot to lose and and how she yeah it is really sad but yeah like mm -hmm, go for it no I was saying because we were like you know we watched everything in her in her 2016 life be stripped away from her right Mm -hmm. and she goes through this apocalyptic like hell becomes hardened you know as the audience at least I was kind of rooting for her to like you know, open up again, right? Absolutely. And, and she opens up again, and all it leads to is like soul crushing loss, exactly as she was afraid of. Not yeah. not quite unfolding, right? But like, oh God, yeah. But she, yeah, she exactly. She like tried to protect herself from the exact thing that happens, which like not only proves her right. It's satisfying that it like you know you've talked about this before that there was like this kind of strange the audience reaction. We're like big uh, Cassie defense squad, but like <laughs> the audience reaction of her being really dark and then 
to see Herbie exactly right in predicting what would happen. Um, there's like a, a satisfaction in, in like a story sense to that, but also, yeah, it's like heartbreaking to see her, um, to, to see her go through that. But, but she knew and, and yeah, it kind of drives her arc for the next, for till the end. Yeah. Oh, and like going to that, the one thing I was thinking about is sort of this theme. I mean, the title of the episode, Blood Washed Away, we see we see it manifest in a lot of different physical ways, right? Like we see Cole's blood on the leaf, I mean on the blades of grass being washed away by the rain. We see Cassie washing away the blood in the sink. Um, but there's also, I think, you know, blood in terms of representing um, violence, loss, mm-hmm. conflict, sin, right? Like Cassie and Cole have been on a journey where they have had to make a lot of difficult choices and do a lot of really hard things. And this kind of timeout that they have from the mission, whether it's individually with Cassie becoming a healer again and Cole finally finding a home Mm -hmm. or ultimately together, um, they like both in the time that they spend on their own and then getting a lot of things out in the open once and for all and kind of going for it. It's, it's kind of like in terms of thinking about like symbolically blood washed away, it is now dealing with and putting behind them the conflict of the past and they will be, they will have future conflicts about different things but it is never going to be about how they feel about one another, right? Or yes, yeah. or being scared about. I mean, they will have it will manifest itself in other ways over their son, over whether they're willing to let Cole be erased, right? In other ways, but this is like a turning point in their both. There's healing that happens at the end of this episode, even individually, before they even find each other at the House of Cedar and Pine. Yeah, so this episode almost feels like the finale and then, or finale part one, and then the next episode is like, okay, this is what we have going on in the next few seasons, because this is the episode, like, exactly, Blood Washed Away represents that we're, we're kind of putting what we did before away and we're starting fresh and they become battle squad casserole right or like from this point on pretty much well not once they kind of come back together but it's kind of it's kind of foreshadowing that anything that has happened kind of emotionally between them before this Mm -hmm. is the past like season two conflict and all of that that part of their conflict is is over and and now yeah like you said they have new fights and everything um but but they do they do they admit that they love each other and everything everything else is about that. Right, right. That's never in question again. Yeah. Um, but And it takes a lot that happens um, in this episode to give them the opportunity to even go there. Um, mm-hmm. But And then the other thing is this episode, I, I don't think that it, until I was actually really watching and paying attention, there are some crazy time jumps not just yep <laughs> not not just with Cassie and Cole but where we left off the last episode where the team split up right and went in two different directions in 20 in, in for the team that's in Titan am i am i remembering correctly that they have been on the road driving from New Jersey to Colorado for a year is that what you guys gathered that's a beep question i have no i didn't realize that much time passed I'm not sure that we can actually pinpoint that time. It's not one for one. 
Because you know how sometimes, like, they're in the past for, like, a year, but then oh. they come back and it's, like, two minutes later. Yeah, but I think, I- I'm-, I'm trying to remember what the um, quote was where they're, like, it's been months and months, right? And they're, like, starving. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I just it's- don't think they-, they pinpointed a specific time. I don't think it's parallel is what I'm saying. No, yeah, no, but no, it's no. been, yeah. it's a real, it's been, let's say, a minimum months of driving across a post-apocalyptal hellscape, right? Like, driving yeah. from New Jersey to Colorado is not my idea of fun even now. And and so, like, <laughs> with Deacon and Ramsey and Jennifer. <laughs> right, and they're starving, right? And, and, and you see, and you see, like, one of the things that I think is so interesting, like, once you can set aside your, on your first watch the, oh my God, what's happening? And then you can watch it again. Both teams are are feeling like frayed and worn from the mm-hmm. pressure, right? But it's different kinds of pressure. Because, like, for the team that's going to tighten, they're starving. They're dealing with scabs. They're under fire. They've lost multiple daughters along the way. Um, yeah, it's yet- very immediate and obvious. Yeah, and it's, like, physical, right? Like, they, they don't have enough to eat. They're under constant attack, right? People are hurt. Um, everybody looks, like, not, even Adler hasn't shaved, right? Like, they're in, like, right? When you see Adler Uh-oh. with stuff, you're like, oh, man, shit's not going well, right? And then with, with, with Casserole... In 1957, they have all of the creature comforts that you could want, right? But it's almost being crushed under this monotony of going to the factory, having to work the desk job, constantly looking for someone, feeling this pressure, like, if we don't find this person, the world is literally going to end. And also, that, that's, like, oh. another another kind of stress, though, the, the idea of having a deadline and then not achieving it and slowly watching it get closer and closer. There's, like, this, like, there's, yeah, there's, like, crushing feeling of, like, I, I have limited time and I know the date that the world is going to end and I'm not doing anything and instead I'm working this job. And it's like, there's like something almost meta to be said about like life <laughs> <laughs> and like, um, you know, d- doing what you want to be doing and doing like, make you know, doing things that make a difference and like how how much of a difference that makes when you feel like you're doing something that makes a difference or even when you're doing something that's like more immediate like um 2044 team is doing um like they're not necessarily counting the days in the same way casserole are right like it's, oh, with a calendar yeah right, right yeah it's, it's very different yeah i actually like that they showed the calendar too because it was also very like human and normal (laughs) yeah but it just I thought it was so interesting like you left off the last episode and it was very much like you know Jennifer being like daughters mount up right and you were Mm -hmm. like yes they're fucking going to tighten right and then you leave off with Cassie being like I don't want to be afraid anymore and you're like yes they're (laughs) on it and then you start this episode and everybody's just like fuck (laughs) right like nothing's going well it doesn't matter what timeline or what your mission is 
everyone's pissed off at each other. No one feels confidence that they're going to get the job done. And everyone is feeling the weight of literally the universe on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably, I mean, we'll talk about this later for sure. But this, this, it's the actual, for a show with time travel, this is the perfect way to use time jumps. And it just works. Because, like, it's, it's also really funny because it's, like, the opposite of one of, you know, one of those, like, record scratch. You're probably wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> Except it's, like, the opposite because nothing has happened. And it's, like, the best way to use a time jump. Like, you're stuck. And, and like, so you, as an audience, you don't feel like you missed much. But also the frustration and the tension has been ratcheted up just just through time and through nothing happening. Right, and both of these missions, as tense as they are, are both in this episode going to end in utter failure. Yeah. With no clear way, no path forward to fix it. And so it's just like, ugh. (laughs) Did you guys have, um, I think we also just want to give a shout out to all of the other, like, artistic work that went into this episode from cinematography to the music to the costumes. Alicia, did you have... Yeah, I I was I every time I watch this episode I admire Cassie's clothes and like the fact that they make it so cuz you know they've been there for a year like she she spends uh, they spend 6 months together she spends 6 months after the coma and whatever they they actually show and I don't know if this was an Amanda choice or a direction choice or whatever but it's perfect because she just get so much more familiar with the clothes and the aesthetic. Um, like the, there's a shot of like her putting on, you know, the very opening shot of her like putting on gloves and everything and like getting ready to go to the factory. Um, and then by the end of it, it's just, it feels super, I was going to say supernatural. No, it feels very natural for her. And like that, that whole look, she just seems to like really wear it really well. And my favorite dress was the the black dress that she wears with like the lace, like the lace mm. little window at the shoulder. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love that dress so much. Is that much. the one? Is that the one with the red belt and the red shoes? Yes. Yes. Oh, it's, I want, yeah. I want all of those plus the red gloves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that whole aesthetic. It's like this. Like, and then she wears a red blazer later, like mm-hmm. her kind of, you know, gaining her power or keeping her power in this like terrible work environment and just I just I loved that like femme fatale 50s like you know she has a tiny pistol in her purse just like mm-hmm. red lipstick it the whole aesthetic really really worked and, and I, yeah I, I loved I love the costumes and I mean I love the costumes all of the time but I love how like they did show the time passing by just like how natural this look became to them um, even when she's wearing that long bathrobe, which is like not, or like, you know, that dress robe, it's like not a, mm-hmm. that's not a 2044 thing, but she just like, so like naturally just like brushes it onto herself. Like when the door's open, I'm like, right. oh, you've worn that a ton of times. And it's just I, like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, it would have taken me months to figure out those kind of hose that just roll up. Yeah, <laughs> that that right because she's yeah. doing the ones that roll down that have to be like attached to the oh, garter, man. and I'm like, dude, I would have spent two months instead of on the mission just trying to figure out how those work. Yeah, like, so, yeah. yeah. No, I I love yeah I love how how it kind of tells the story over to and yeah you're right too the cinematography of course the music we'll talk about but the cinematography in this in this episode too like the the kind of. Um, old old fa- old fashioned is not the right word maybe but that kind of feel that they've given with the with the song at the beginning and um arriving at the factory on the bus and just the way everyone looks and even you know the bar scene and everything it just it feels so like film noir but like it from the 50s like post war i did, you know those are totally two two different times but that that's kind of what it feels like when they're they're having this like sort of dark mystery and like 
timeline, but at the same time, it's like this 50s post-war environment. I don't know. I, I think they captured it all really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you said something about the horror elements. Like, is that, like, with respect to Titan? Yeah. Well, yeah. T- so Titan and for me, the um, I really caught it this time when I was watching it a couple days ago um, with the house itself. It's kind of the same vision that they show over and over again. But that that specific sound effect that they do, too, it's, like, almost, like, insecty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's, like, that sound effect of the, when the house, like, gets rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed. Like, that is a very, like horror sound and the same thing like even when she actually goes in and it's being like um crossed with all those images of her visions and everything I like it they kind of show it in when she first has the vision with the T but her being in that location that was like way more horror to me like I was like what you said I was terrified when she first sees the house I was like oh no (laughs) shit's going down everything's gonna go wrong and like the opposite happens which is really funny and confusing (laughs) right like normally normally you'd be like Cassie do not go in the house get out but then you're like oh but Cole's there yeah go in the house like yeah yeah Yeah. like my whole instinct when I first watched this was like just grab him and run away (laughs) but and and they do it really well with yeah with the music and the sound and the like red filter and you're just like and even like especially after knowing what everything means it's like even more creepy (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's like a very like classic kind of horror haunted house feeling about it um when you like now that you know it's associated with a real house I really like that yeah um and the cinematography when they get to the house of cedar and pine those outdoor shots it is just the light the way that it is so beautiful like it 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 just you're like this does not you know I guess there's especially recently there's been a lot of really beautiful tv to look Mm -hmm. at but I still like I don't know, maybe because I'm older. Sometimes I'm like, man, this is not what TV used to look like, right? This looks like a film. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right. Do you guys have any other? I hope people will stick around for the end. Alicia has a really fun rabbit hole about the house in Cedar and Pine, Cedar and Pine that I'm really excited about. Um, so we have some rabbit holes for the end. Do you guys have any other big picture things before we jump to 2044 and... I think what is definitively the worst road trip that has ever been on the show. And there's been quite a few. <laughs> Do you guys have anything else? No, ma'am. Okay. So um, we've got, we talked about sort of what they, they have, they have driven into an enclave of cannibals. <laughs> like, like as bad as you thought the West Seven, right? Or like the key, uh, everybody that they dealt with before the keeper. That like a hundred percent feels in line with their luck. <laughs> I'm like, of course. <laughs> it wouldn't be a post-apocalyptic story if we didn't have people eventually being cannibals, right? I mean, it just it just feels natural, and the fact that our our people, our heroes, would meet these people and be like, oh, I guess we aren't that bad. <laughs> Yeah, right. Oh, man. So we have Jennifer. And if we could just for a second put ourselves, I think I think point of view in this episode is really, really important. So Jennifer has just, you know, if we think back to Cassie being dropped at the beginning of this season and the post-apocalyptic like world, right? This is now what's been Jennifer's life who came from our world, (laughs) And she's been on a road trip 
where people, she, this, you, when you, the woman is dying in her arms and she has blood all over her hands. But, By the way, after, very shortly after she saw herself die. <laughs> right, so, right. You know, like, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she went from being thrust into this leadership position to, like, zero time off. She's leading a cross-country, like, road trip through hell to a very uncertain fate with the, like, universe hanging in the balance with a group of women that clearly are have, at, by this point, lost respect mm -hmm. for her. But she also, just, like, the trauma of what she's having to deal with, like... It's pretty quick in how we jump into it, but when that woman is in Jennifer's arms, I'm just like, oh my God, right? It would be like one of us being dropped into this world and in if like now your day-to-day -day is people dying in your arms that you're supposed to be responsible for. The, just, yeah, the way she reacts to that, I mean, obviously her fortune cookie <laughs> sayings, but like it's so like it's so I'm unequipped to handle this. Like, like that, that's kind of what she's saying. That's what she's like screaming with her eyes. Like, I am not, I am not old Jennifer. I'm not, you know, chicken Jennifer. It, it, that, it, that's heartbreaking to me. She's just, yeah, it's like, it's just sheer panic. Yeah. And it's, I'm, you know, the, it's so sad and like uncomfortable to watch because obviously she's at a total loss as this woman's dying and the things that she's saying, it's like, what is she? It's like one of them is like your life is measured in precious moment. Like that's somebody who's dying. dying yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like your smile that will like, I mean, it's just like it, 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 it so cruelly doesn't make sense to mm -hmm. say to someone who's dying. Right. Like it's just, she's so of course ill-equipped to deal yeah. with anything. And it's honestly, it's like in a way also proving to herself that she's not capable, which is another heartbreaking thing to see because it's something Jennifer deals with all of the time. Like that she is not good enough to do something, that she is not enough to handle something. And it's like this is being thrown in her face by not only the situation, but by the daughters who are like, you're not, you're not our mother. And like, not that she asked for this. And she's like all at the, all at the same time dealing with the inevitability of like that she's going to live that life that ends there. So like she, yeah. she's also like, I'm not good enough for this and I'm stuck in this. Like it's, it's kind of this like spiral. And yeah, so it, it totally like it, she reacts in such a Jennifer way, which is like kind of saying stuff that, that doesn't make sense, but is really sad. But like she's, yeah, she's like stuck in this loop of like I can't do this which it's like it makes it even like 10 times as more important the fact that old chicken Jennifer tells her like you know I love you you should remember that because clearly <laughs> this is not the time that she's remembering that yeah beep did you have any Jennifer thoughts this moment just breaks my heart I think it's really interesting that Jennifer is much more adept at like being flexible when it's her life in danger versus other people. Mm. Oh. I mean, she gets dropped in, you know, the middle of like World War One and is fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. But she has to deal with like the thought of leading and losing other people. It's a whole different story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and considering what happened in Hyena, that's really understandable. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and and since then, she's in yet another leadership position that she's not prepared for and the people she's responsible for be 
are dying because of a decision she made to lead them yeah. into this. Well, and it's a reiteration of when Cole said, you know, that's the price you pay of taking people on. And she said, I haven't paid that price. And she's still not paying that price. Yeah. That she feels like she should be the one to pay. That's true. Which this is all heading toward the big moment in the finale where she will choose, right? To, yeah. To go. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point. Um, there's some really interesting, just to check in on sort of the other characters, and what's been going on in their heads during this road trip, despite all of the obstacles, despite starvation, despite the people they've lost, Ramsey is still relentless, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to end up screwing them <laughs> in the series <laughs> yep. finale, right? But so it's a sign. He is still like a mad dog and he is not going to give up. And it doesn't matter that people are starving. It doesn't matter that people are tired. He is relentless. Yeah. I, I try to imagine, um, you know, because when they set out, Cassie was in the car and then she made that choice to go back. But I, I always try to imagine like what this what this journey would have been like had Cassie let Cole go alone and come on this ride. And I wonder if it it would have been any different. Like, I mean, obviously they're going to come across the same stuff, but, it, but Cassie was really the kind of opposite side of the coin to Ramsey in their, in their kind of pursuit of the witness and pursuit of, of everything. And when they were working together, when they were like the, the anti team for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So like, it's just, it's interesting to think that like, Ramsey is the only there's like an imbalance of energy in this mission that set out starting to be with with Cassie and Ramsey kind of leading the charge and and now that this Cassie's kind of not logical energy but like this this kind of other um I see I feel bad saying logical and I feel bad saying cold because neither of those things true neither of those things are true of Cassie but she was definitely more um measured yes exactly cautious. yes yeah. so that that yeah. that part of the mission gets taken out and and like so when she leaves and Ramsey lets her go and he he stops the car that's like this really you know he recognizes that she needs to go but at the same time I wonder if he's like damn now it's up to me <laughs> and now I have to be twice now I have to be both of us <laughs> Yeah, and well, Jennifer- Ramsey's always accusing people of all leap, no look, and he can't help himself. That's exactly what he is from here mm-hmm. on out. That's yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, it is painful. He leads everybody into death, death. or yeah. or in the next episode, all of them being separated. Yeah. Right? It's because he won't leave. Mm-hmm. They were they were fine. <laughs> they were actually right. Like even when they redo this all, he's the one that will not give up. And then Cole makes that choice to follow him. Yeah. And it's yeah. So um, the other really interesting character development is our Scav King, who has killed countless people. Right? Sometimes even delighted in it, is profoundly affected by the fact that he was responsible for old Jennifer's death. Mm-hmm. Like, he is calling Jennifer ma'am. He's deferential to her. Um, Je- like, this Jennifer recognizes that guilt, right? So when the head, one of the head daughters, like, is, is being aggressive towards him, she's like, look, he knows what he did, right? Just, like, look at him. Um, and it's just this really interesting beginning of this really special relationship that Deacon and Jennifer have. And I just think it's so... It's so interesting that the Scav King, who was so impervious to, like, shooting people, like, right, he would just shoot people left and right ever since we've met Deacon. This is the one that really begins to change him 
Yeah, I love that that killing Je- old Jennifer is like what what turns it around. But then at the same t- at the end, that's his most significant. That ends up being his most significant relationship. The one that the one that lasts into the real world in a way. You know, like that's mm-hmm. that's who they show him with at the end. And and it all starts because he did something that he has done a lot of times, but it just this time. It was with with somebody slightly different, and also because he had to face that person day after day after day after killing them, which who, right. which is like you're never oh, faced yeah. with that. That's so true. Yeah, you might, like you it know. was also truly an accident. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. Deacon makes conscious decisions to kill people. He's not about that like accidental life. I mean, <laughs> frequent frequent conscious decisions yes, yeah. to kill people. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was accidental. It was nobody, he didn't have a beef with her, right? Yeah, like it, and now he just has to be with her all the time and protect her. That's like enough to mess with somebody. <laughs> well, right, and and uh, to be honest, you know, Cole and and Cassie and Ramsey have had their crazy time, t- time travel adventures, right? Mm-hmm. Deacon has just been in 2044 has been there as people were coming back and forth. But this is the first time I feel like he has been confronted with something profoundly strange, yeah. right? This is a younger version of an older person that he was aware of in his world that he killed, and yet that person is in front of him. Yeah, the way Deacon reacts to not only to that, and then also even when they get to Titan and stuff, it's it's very different. There's like a an innocent Deacon of like, you know, the the mask is is taken off and like this is like what Deacon actually is inside. And we get to see it a couple times in this episode because he yeah, because he's faced with this like crazy stuff that yeah. that he will keep being faced with. But this is the first time really, I think. Yeah. Um, so we have that crazy line, we vow to protect mother <laughs> and you are not her. <laughs> and it's like that is true and not true. <laughs> In, like, a um, couple of weird levels, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Hannah's there with her. And, like, anyway. It's <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. Um, so when Hannah returns to the camp, it's sort of our first sign, should be on rewatch, our first sign, other than the guy who Ramsey then summarily kills, saying, well, there was lights and sounds, and we sent someone, and they never came back. And then Hannah comes back, and it's like, it's not there. And that should be kind of our first clue that this is not your typical city. So this uh-huh. was, I know this timeline got wiped out, but, like, it's Titan. So my question was, did, so the witness, I mean, so she knew that they were, like, that was an ambush, right? Like, that was clearly an ambush, because Titan showed up when they were arriving. So they, so they knew that those four were going to arrive at that location. Like, do you know, the, is that a circle? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, abs- yeah. It's a, yeah, and it's a trap. Yeah, another sign that she knows everything that's happening. Because <laughs> which yeah. one is that? Like, I know again, like that tightness. If it's separate from time, like at what point does she come there, kill them, and then disappear? And then where where does it go from? Maybe I'm not like remembering it clearly, but I'm just like that. That felt like show up there, kill them, leave. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there is a little bit of an explanation that perhaps Hannah went in the wrong direction because of, like, a technical issue with the tracker or whatever, like, with the Jeep. Mm-hmm. But Hannah's like, no, I went in the right direction. So, yeah. Um, we have the face-off between the old, the um, lead daughter and Ramsey. And um, 
I think like beep this goes to what you were saying. Jennifer Jennifer is on a when Jennifer is trying on this kind of role and saying these platitudes, it doesn't have effect. But she jumps into the middle of this fight and when she yells no more killing and 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 her action convinces Ramsey to spare that daughter's life, that is her actually leading. Right? Like she's not just saying things, she's jumping in the middle of the fray. And she actually does, I mean, I think Hannah backing her up in terms of lower your weapons, I think Hannah's support in the stage is always key, right? And like convincing them. But it is the difference between like saying things that aren't even really your expressions versus she actually jumps in and like puts herself on the line in the middle of like a dangerous fight to try and stop them. Well, Jennifer's strength is her empathy. It's not trying to regurgitate things that she's heard, learned, or seen other people do. And I think even having Hannah's support is because Hannah's the only daughter who she raises, right? Like she gets Hannah when she's like eight or like that. That's she. So, so to Hannah, even though this is like young Jennifer, she, she's supporting her because something Jennifer does later, which is care for her and love her. Like it, it exactly to what Beep said. It's like her strength is, is empathy and, and, and loving people. And that, that's kind of how in a roundabout way she gets that support too. Like that, those are all things that she does from love. Like her, her, her leadership skills is, it, it's related. Yeah. To and it's, you know, what's interesting. Hannah and Jennifer almost have their own mini, um, we talk a lot about it with Cole and Jennifer, but Hannah and Jennifer have their own little Ouroboros of leadership mm-hmm. too, right? Because old Jennifer was the one that taught Hannah, you sacrifice yourself for others. And so she's the one that goes with Ramsey, Whitley, and Deacon this time. But then, and she says she learned that from old Jennifer, but in the next episode, it's going to be Jennifer who volunteers to go, and that is why the daughters follow. Yeah. You know, so she kind of <laughs> learns from Hannah when Hannah is saying she's living up to what old Jennifer taught her. And it's like a circle. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of their own. Um, I do love Jennifer's, like, when she's almost breaking. She's not breaking the fourth wall, but her, like, my daughters are assholes. <laughs> like, they wear ridiculous eyeshadow and have serious mommy issues. <laughs> like, it's so funny and you're like oh my god they totally do wear ridiculous eyeshadow and her, right? her like, delivery of that line is aces i love it oh it's so great <laughs> it's so great um so that takes us to when they finally arrive and and see titan um and they're on that ridge and i feel like that we get that shot of characters kind of overlooking Titan. Um, this is the first of many that we will have like that um, throughout the show. Um, again, it's a huge flag when it should have been a huge flag when Hannah's like, uh, I was just here and this wasn't here, right? It's like now you pick up on it and you're like, oh my God, how did it not occur to me that the, it was yeah. actually time traveling, right? Especially, Especially because they have been talking about like, you know, like, I don't know, like the time travel without the, the tra- right? Like mm-hmm. the idea of like moving around. So yeah, there's, there were lots of clues <laughs> that we should have been like, wait a Uh-oh. second, Ellie yeah. Jones had something to do with this. It wasn't there before, right? Like we've kind of seen this thing before in the show. Um, 
And then you've got the four of them moving in. And yeah, it's super creepy, like a horror movie. Um, but I also, I find that shot super, super satisfying because in, in like the, I'm watching a science fiction TV show and something that they've kind of set up for a really long time and you finally see it and it's something totally cool and totally unexpected and totally aesthetically different. You know when that happens in a science fiction show for the, for the first time um, and I'll, in a, a lot of the times, it's like a tipping point for me while watching a show. This one, it happened like it's two seasons in, but we've had like seven tipping points, seven, like, you know, like th- every few episodes, there's something that I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. But like this shot, I remember just feeling very satisfied by in just like a sci-fi lover watcher way, just because I was like, this is something that they really thought about. And it's also so different and so new um, and then it just becomes like a regular set. But that first shot is like, it's whoa. <laughs> yeah, it looks so cool. And it is so different yeah. than the previous aesthetic on this show. Right? Yeah. Like, think back to season one. We were going back and forth between 2016 and 2044. And the finale took place inside Raritan in two different eras. Right? Mm-hmm. Now we have characters facing a... A, even if we don't know it's a time traveling city, it is clearly a city from the future. It doesn't look like anything from our yeah, and it just time. it represents like it's. I know it's terrifying and it's threatening and it's like the bad guys home and stuff. But it like it represents in terms of the story so much possibility. <laughs> like so, oh my gosh, what's going to happen from here? Like what is this place? How does it work? Like your your gears just start turning because this is like brand new information. Yeah, and like, oh my God, what are they going getting into, right? Like, let me ask you a question. If you were, I, I know that the time, I know the red storms are coming. So like, what do you have to lose? Because you're about to get ripped apart anyway. <laughs> but if you were the four of them staring at that, like, it's not a strong plan, guys. It's like four of you. That's <laughs> <laughs> so scary. And, <laughs> right? and then on the other hand, I stopped and I was like, but wait a second. This series finale is going to be only four people taking on Titan, right? Until Deacon and the West Seven show up. <laughs> it's just a different set of four people, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, yeah. They don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they just try so much and you're like, oh. <laughs> I know. So then we get, and we're gonna we we're gonna put a pin in the actual music that's playing as they walk through Titan as a as a rabbit hole at the end. But you have you have that music playing. We're gonna hear it now. We're gonna hear it again in um three oh two when um Cole is in the same room as Baby Ethan. It's gonna be playing on a on a um record player and you've got deacons kind of like almost like why would you walk toward the creepy music (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the second time and so after after jennifer's kind of talking about my daughters are assholes this is like this 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 road trip does feel very self-referential because again it's also a road trip and we've had those before and they don't go Mm -hmm. very well and then then there's all these like references and sort of like winks at the audience of like not at the audience actually it's like mostly within within characters to be like why why do we always do this <laughs> which yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy it because it's like funny too and it, it, this is a very heavy episode so like those little moments of like jokey like uh we know what we're doing and we're still doing it <laughs> right and like you know what i I forgot my favorite, like, God bless Deacon in this really, really heavy episode. I forgot my favorite subtle moment was when Jennifer was, like, doing her cookie, 
her fortune cookie wisdom and she says better to have a hen today than an egg tomorrow and Deacon's face is like yeah you know that actually makes sense <laughs> it's so great it's like the beginning of like this like Deacon I don't know they just somehow picked up that there's a magic when Emily Hampshire says something and then Deacon you've got makes Tom yeah, his, like, reaction shot. Yeah, it's, and like, who would have thought that, like, Deacon, because ultimately he does take that role several times, like, from now onwards, is, like, as the audience insert almost, <laughs> being mm-hmm. like, you guys see that what we're doing is ridiculous, right? <laughs> like, just, just, like, they took, like, the murdery, like, bad guy leader and, like, just slowly turned him into the audience insert, which I think is really fun and really smart because it's, like, an, a very easy way to... I mean, he does a lot of stuff that also builds our empathy towards him, but just just to to build that like immediate goodwill because you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree, Deacon. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it does cut down, right? Like, do you ever have that frustration, right, when you're watching something and you're like, guys, this is clearly right. Mm-hmm. Like when they say nothing about this place seems like a good idea. All the time we watch stuff, right, where you as an audience are like, dude, don't go downstairs into the basement, right? Like, don't, right? And so when you have the characters calling it out and then you're like, but they're going to do it anyway, obviously, because it's a TV show and so shit has to happen, right? Like, um, But it doesn't feel manufactured when they do it because they're acknowledging that this is a bad idea and... And when they have good ad- ideas, they acknowledge that those are good ideas, too. And there's, like, argument in, like, oh, should we do this or should we do that? And sometimes there's just, like, no choice. And when they acknowledge that there's no choice but we're going to do this terrible thing anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really fun to see them actually acknowledge it. Because you're, like, you know, it's, like, when, when something is falling towards you and everyone in the movies just, like, runs forward and you're just, like, go to the side. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that, yeah. It's, like, you, you, you want to, like, scream at your TV, but, like, when, when, act- when the characters actually recognize that you're like okay like they've thought this through and they're kind of stuck and now they're just like well this is this is where we're at which I yeah I really like and and previously when I like I talked to I know by this point we've also like you know the last episode that I was on like we learned a lot about Deacon's background and everything so in terms of that like they've they've kind of told us what his background is and like why why he is the way he is and and built empathy that way but I, I still think it's like very smart to make him the like the person that recognizes when things are stupid because he is he is the realist in in that group and and using him in that role works really well i think right he's a survivor mm-hmm. so when the survivor saying why would we do that you should listen to him as opposed to ramsey who's who in the last episode said i'm, I'm already dead mm-hmm. inside he's got nothing to lose right i mean they don't t- to be honest they don't have a ton of choices yeah. right like what ramsey said at the beginning of the episode we turn back we we die in the red storms like what else can we do but move forward that's true too but like you know when ramsey's like the witness is here you're just like no dude <laughs> he's really not uh. <laughs> so then we come on to the first time we see the platform of with of the clock Um, with the red symbols, I went down a little bit. It's not like a long rabbit hole, so I'll just cover it really quickly here. At first, I thought it was Hebrew, but then I went onto the Project Splinter website and it described, it had a little bit about it, but it's actually, and apparently Terry Mattel has confirmed on Twitter that it's in Aramaic. Um, And it is, like the first time we saw that pattern was earlier in the season when Olivia drank tea from that pedestal in the mm-hmm. Monkey Mansion. Um, and 
According to Project Splinter, it says, Interestingly, we see four different circular platforms in Titan and and in the Monkey Mansion in season two and three. Two of them are clockwise, while the other two are counterclockwise. Clocks that begin at the end and then reverse. What? (laughs) What? I know. I know. It's so cool. People have such good eyes. That was that good eye. That's that's very cool. Yeah. I wish I don't know anyone who speaks Aramaic. Um, (laughs) Is that not an ancient language? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the time of Jesus. Yeah. So I I'd be super curious. Need an academic. Like, if we need yeah we need an academic to translate. Um, maybe Professor Aaron can reach out into like the religion the religion department at her university. But yeah, we have if, questions. If somebody, yeah, we have questions. If somebody listening, somebody's already gone down this. I'm sure there's. I looked. I even looked on Reddit, and there was some speculation about what it was, but I kind of didn't trust the like Reddit translation of Aramaic. Um, <laughs> So um, that's like such we, a like a twenty first century. <laughs> I, I just I just want to let you know that you said the line. I don't trust the Reddit translation of Aramaic. <laughs> just put that into the record. That was that was delightful. <laughs> I I trust Reddit to figure out figure out Westworld and for yeah. really entertaining Game of Thrones memes, but I don't. Don't trust them to accurately translate an ancient language. <laughs> so, all right. So it that part of it ends with um, the figure in the mask, and then it turns around, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Right? It, it, it's a it's a little bit off, but you're like, "Oh my god!" It's somebody in a mask. Um, and then if we're just kind of kind of close the loop on this story, even though we will touch on it as we go kind of back and forth at the end. They think that they have found the witness, and really what they walked into is a trap, and all of they are all stabbed or have their throats cut. And I was really, I, when you kind of step back and think about all of the animosity between Ramsey and Deacon, but in that moment when, when Ramsey's on the ground about to die and Deacon's just like, Ramsey, it's like all of that animosity has just fallen away, and it's just two men like facing their death. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, yeah. I really like that. I like hesitate to call it a trope, but it, it kind of is. And like, okay, the two people are in mortal danger and they drop all of their differences. That that That's a little bit of a trope. And I real like, I really enjoy watching it because like sometimes it's like the, the exact release of tension that you need in when something, you know, when everything around that like plot related is going really wrong. And like, you know, whoever these two characters are, they're close, they're close to dying, or they're like, in mortal danger, or whatever. And so and this can be like a, a shippy thing, too. But it can also just be between friends and like, you know, or between family members or whatever. But like that, that, that release intention that you get in that moment of like, uh oh, we're we're gonna die. Like we're just we're just people, and I don't know why we were fighting. <laughs> of course, and that doesn't yeah. stay gone. But like that moment is really human. I like when they show that, and it's realistic. No one, no one, they're not gonna be like, I still hate you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> like it's just yeah. It's realistic. But do you know what? Yeah. Do you know what? Also, it just hit me, which is crazy. Um, this moment at Titan, whether it's this version of it or the redo in the next episode, let me see if this is correct. It is the last time Deacon and Ramsey are ever together until the series finale. What? Are you right? serious? Oh my gosh. Right, beep, beep. Yeah, beep. Think that like, 
Okay. Yeah, that should be correct. And it means that it's the last time they're together in like a continuity way. Like this is correct. Yeah. This is this is their end because Titan takes place in like 2032. Right, because from at the end of this uh, at the end of the next episode, Deacon is going to be in a jail cell at Titan. Mm-hmm. The whole time that Ramsey comes back to the facility with Olivia and Ramsey is dead in Brothers. And at the end of that episode is when Deacon comes, Deacon and Cassie come back. Oh, my God. So they will never. This is it. This uh, that moment of watching Ram, of watching Ram, like, right. They are going to get a quick redo in the next episode. But this whole scenario at Titan is the last time that these two kind of, uh, you know, not mortal enemies, but do they never got along and they really tried to kill each other a bunch of times. This is the last time they will ever be together until the West Seven moment in the series finale. And Beep is right. That's a different, that's an earlier Deacon. Yeah, that right? is nuts. I hadn't, th- I'm like clutching my face in my hands. You can't see, but right. that is nuts. That's because, yeah, they're like, it's weird because they're, they're too key members of the team but yeah from now on they sort of just like rotate around each other around the center like uh, just satellites but not not in the center it kind of it kind of reminds me of the fact that like deacon's not on the word of the witness again too because he just sort of is like tangential to things that happen but is also really key to them i don't know satellites is probably a better analogy that's crazy and they just like miss each other and don't ah wow yeah i know that just hit me uh-huh. I had like a listener moment you- just now. Like you guys are just, <laughs> just like as if I'm in my car, like being like, "Oh wow, BCC, smart." <laughs> um, You're basically you- saying that you pause and talk just as if you were on here. I definitely not along. I sometimes very, oh, I very often gasp. <laughs> oh, we wouldn't want it any other way. I, my mission is to hopefully make you laugh in public while you have headphones on. <laughs> it's, it's happened. <laughs> or like that time I cried <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> oh, well, that was, that was the show's that was fault. The show. that, that wasn't was our show. fault. <laughs> I, I do have a question about this before we move on. Um, they they yeah. show a quick, like when they get, when their throats are slashed, it's not like a, for a dramatic reasons. They show um, the, the side, like the flat side of the blade is, was there something on it? Like I, I didn't, I, I didn't quite get that. Like I thought there was like a symbol on it or something. Was that the twelve? Don't they have? Yeah. Is it the symbol of Titan, the Aramaic? Oh, um, it's the same. It's this, okay. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's what I remember. Yeah. I mean, they it's got just that other listen, connection. Season. I don't know if it's the Pallid Man or season four Olivia, but she has. They have a really strong aesthetic. <laughs> When it comes to, like, branding yep. and what everyone's wearing and to make sure, like, is your does your blade have our logo, right? Like, <laughs> our social media posts need to go out at the same time. <laughs> very, very strong. Uh, we're going to br- bring about the end of the world. And by brand. social yeah. media posts, I meant messengers. <laughs> I don't know if that was clear. <laughs> <laughs> this is also... Um, this is also our first look at sort of the um we I forget who was on who's was it was it Dark Amy whose favorite fashion aesthetic Aww, is Titan? Dark Amy. <laughs> yeah, but this is the first time we have seen these right these crazy robes mm-hmm. right they look like the like cult right? because then they di- like deep dive into that cult 
aesthetic very oh, yeah. soon. <laughs> like, it's right. like, what is At the to end come? of the yeah. next episode? <laughs> right. So our, it's sort of like, wow, these guys are now all wearing masks. This is like some serious witness worship <laughs> <laughs> that we're all wearing the cloak, right? And we're all wearing the Which mask, makes me so. wonder again, like, what what in in continuity? Where are those people? <laughs> right before they find. Yeah. Right before they find Cassie, but like they're well established. Like I, you know, like I'm, I'm still, I'm still confused about like I, I, they've been plucked from all different. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because you've got people that were being plucked, for example, in season three from nineteen. Um, 53 Mm -hmm. and then you have in 301 the woman that tries to help Cassie and she's from like yeah so like yeah chronologically like when is Titan right now which is like always a question I have but in this in this moment especially yeah are we ready to go to 1957 are we ever gonna be ready (laughs) no wow Ah. your voice is already cracking (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be all right. Like it, we're gonna. We can do this. Um, all right. Here's the deal. You plow yeah. through, and then at the end, I'm gonna give you both two solid minutes <laughs> to sound like fools. Okay. It's not. Right. No. But it's, not now. Keep not, going. It's not like fools. Like, dude, if if dudes can go crazy over like the model of which Starship Enterprise, right? <laughs> then like. I can fucking go crazy over a well-executed kiss. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, I meant just literal <laughs> shrieking. Yeah, yeah. Okay? I'm going to keep, <laughs> keep the, yeah, the, like, um, the sounds, the, the inhuman sounds till the end. Yeah, I we'll agree. Just, we'll use our, we'll use our, uh, we'll use our <laughs> mute button. You have I, a two-minute shriek zone at the end. Keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> All right. So we talked a little bit about the opening montage. The song that's playing is by... Bob Kelly and the Pikes. It is from 1957. And the name of the song is When We Get Together. I saw that. I was like, oh, my God, already. It's so great. And the thing is, I tried to get into the lyrics, but the lyrics are like basically (laughs) them saying when we get together over and over Over and and over over again. Yeah. And so I love that it's like we've got casserole as a team. Right. And but they could not be more emotionally distant. Right. But this is also the episode when they will get together. Mm -hmm. And then we should be asking some questions about what are the consequences when they get together. Well, because there's like two kind of yeah, the song like repeats over and over and over again, which is hilarious because like, you know, when we get together, let's rock. (laughs) But some of the lines are if we get together, say let's rock. (laughs) So they just like repeat when we get together let's rock and if we get together let's rock and i'm like i guess i could see that in like a fun and an ominous way yeah, right. <laughs> just reading too much into it i'm already impressed that it's from 1957 good for them yeah i mean i don't this has been my you guys know that i like obsess over all of these music cues but like i don't know whose job it was mm-hmm. to be in charge of all this but sometimes they're even like in fatherland a clue as to what year you could be in or what once you actually figure out what year you're in and the lyrics they pick, it's just like, it's so Yeah, great. and it's like, there's <laughs> it's one so- side of it, which is like the sound, the, like the soundtrack um, to this or the score mm-hmm. rather, the score to this is incredible. And like, I listen to it all the time and that like the instrumental music is amazing, but there's like a very separate and also equally difficult skill in picking and placing and like, 
pacing the um, song cues. And I guess that's the soundtrack. Like, pa- like song cues, the songs that already exist and like putting them in the right spot and like, kind of like evoking the right emotion, which I like that. That's a, that's a whole other skill. And I know we're, t- we're talking about this song is not necessarily this song, which all is an ironic and, and clever choice, but like all of the other songs they choose because they, they don't, they don't have them very often. And a lot of the times it's like that it's like diegetic music. And so you're, Mm-hmm. you're like oh it, you know then does it fit the era and like why are they playing that and sometimes it's in the background you have to listen really carefully but they did still make an informed choice and and the score in this in this whole show is incredible and then if it's the same person also making song choices or whoever's making song choices because there's also limitations in terms of copyright and all of that so like we know they have to work within constraints and they still pick like really like sometimes very cheeky, sometimes very fun, but always like really informed choices, which I, which I really like. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's the other, the, and the other song, the, um, the one by the caretaker, which is the creepy music. Ooh, I'm so excited mind, for you. <laughs> yeah. Mind blowing oh. all of the layers to it. Okay. So, I kind of got, I loved that we have Cassie and Cole once again in front of a conspiracy board. It felt like, oh, this is like season one old times, except you're fighting <laughs> a lot. Um, but there's some great, like this montage is is so like, you've got, you've got like the sexual harassment, which is like very <laughs> right, like mad, right? Mm-hmm. Like mad men, it makes you, but, but then you've got whether it's the guy drawing dirty pictures in the bathroom or the guy putting his hand up Cassie's skirt, Cassie and Cole are both <laughs> dealing with it in very much 2044 ways, right? Like Cole's like kicking in the bathroom. Yeah. Like the guy is like, you know, like he, uh, ah, like don't kick a door in on a guy when he's in that position, right? And like Cassie like flips the guy, right? And like, tr- I mean, it's just it's like, so funny. It's. <laughs> It's so gratifying as a woman to watch, but it is very much like a juxtaposition with 1957, yeah. right? Like women don't normally handle that happening, but like God, I wish we all knew how I to do that. I will say about <laughs> for this. when a guy does that. I love how that guy was like offended. <laughs> I'm like, dude. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. He was shocked. <laughs> You're getting gropey. Like he was like, ugh. Like wow, this one's a lot to deal with. And I'm just like, you need to back off. How dare you, now, sir? I don't- <laughs> I, I know. I mean, I don't, like, obviously we're not, but, like, I watched enough of Mad mm-hmm. Men to know that that probably happened a I lot. do. <laughs> I do want, you mentioned the conspiracy board, and I do want, like, a side-to-side shot of their backs, or, like, you know, because it's shot with, with us facing their back and us looking at the conspiracy board, and I, I love, I love like, the, the comparison between what it looked like in season one, which is, like, these, like, hard edges, like, stainless steel stuff, like, you know, like, 21st century um, furniture, just like everything was it, like very sterile, computer screen glow. And then this like 50s con- conspiracy board, which is already we talked about like their outfits, but also just like the the way the newspapers are and like the way the photos look and like they didn't they didn't bring anything with them. So everything is from that era. And, like, so they've written yeah. stuff. They've written a lot more stuff than is printed. And, like, they don't have, like, 
the the like I don't think they're using highlighter. They're using a red marker. You know, just like these little differences. Mm-hmm. Like the the new conspiracy, the twenty forty four conspiracy board has tons of highlighter. Like <laughs> there's like right? just yeah. like a little detail like that, and then like the yellow light glow versus like the white lab light glow. Like I just the, those choices. Like if you put those two pictures side to side, would be really cool. And it, it, yeah, I it, I think you're, you're right. They like place them exactly in that way so that we could evoke that memory but at the same time this is all like in in time and and yeah I I like that comparison a lot right I mean there's a lot in the set decoration Mm -hmm. that I spotted at least four things that I remember were in my grandparents whether it's like lamps or there's this cross stitch thing (laughs) on the wall that I'm like I'm pretty sure my grandmother had that cross stitch thing on her wall so like there's just an unbelievable level of detail um and the set decoration, like, you know, it, it's not just the costumes. Like, it feels like you're in the 1950s. And we get to live in the Emerson Hotel. I know as much as this episode is about the House of Cedar and Pine, we get to live in the Emerson. And I love that. I, I will say, like, just being there and, like, kind of living in that, like, location that we love so much already, it's it's a very different feeling than realizing the House of Cedar and Pine is home. Like, this this is what we're familiar with, and, and just being there all the time, even though they hate each other and, like, things are not going well, um, there's a level of comfort in that location, which I really like. Huh. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we've got, so basically, I mean, you know, as we talked about, the montage is basically a montage of tedium, mm-hmm. like commuting to work, leads not panning out, um, all leading up to if you were really excited at the end of the last episode with the two of them, you know, meeting in the lobby and I don't want to be afraid anymore. It's like record <laughs> scratch. Uh, this year has not gone well. <laughs> and this fight strikes me. It's funny, like as I watch it, they are like a as a as a person who has been married and has had high pressure jobs and had a husband with high pressure jobs and had young kids they they strike me as like two people who you know they obviously care about one another but like when you're both under stress you sometimes take it out on the people that Mm -hmm. you're the closest to and there's a lot of moments where I want to yell, like, same team, right? But they're both, like, yeah. you know, which is, like, what my husband and I will do when our kids are stressing us. I'll be like, no, 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 same team, Aww. same team. Like, bring it back. <laughs> but, like, you have, like, they are questioning one another, right? Are you sure you didn't miss – are you sure you didn't miss anything? No, are you sure you didn't miss someone, right? Are you sure you – And they're pushing like, They're pushing clearly- personal buttons, too. Like, they're Absolutely. so mad that they're that they're crossing lines, maybe, that they shouldn't be crossing. Right. And, you know, Cassie's like, because sometimes you yeah. miss things, right? And he's like, well, maybe you were yeah. enjoying all those dates, right? There's also jealousy. Like, so – there's just a lot that, like, it all feels like. Um, it's funny because sometimes I'll see people that are watching this on Twitter and they got their hopes up at the end of the last episode and then they go into this one and it comes to like a screeching halt and they're like, why are they fighting? <laughs> right? But like, this scene just strikes me as the way people who are living together and really close to one another, right? Like, it's been a year of them living together. You have this emotional unresolved tension that is just hanging out there between them and on top they're of failing. that they're failing they're failing as well yeah they're they're failing and it is the fucking fate mm-hmm. of the universe <laughs> comes down to the two of them so they're taking it out on one another um and it's like really 
and it strikes me, uh, you know, it's sad, but it also seems really, uh, like, sadly unreal. Like, sadly yeah. And also, the, the fact sense. that, like, she she chose the she chose to come back there and and they kind of they they made up this like big part of the rift that they had for season two but that doesn't solve everything and that doesn't change anything as well like there there's things that that are prioritized over that which is saving the world (laughs) and that that's fair like as as a viewer that feels like okay i understand like you have to table that but it doesn't also mean that those things are gone or they don't mean anything because you made this choice this choice was one step step one in like a thousand right yeah um i mean obviously the irony now as you're watching it is like dude the primary yeah um if you guys didn't have anything else about the fight you've got cole leaving um which cole in fights pulls mm-hmm. the escape hatch often mm-hmm. i've noticed like whether it's uh, the what the fight in 100 years or this fight cassie's the one that like you know she's kind of like Pushes the bulldog in, yeah, and yeah. pulls the yeah and then cole's like i'm gonna go get a drink so that i don't say that thing that i want to say <laughs> <laughs> so you have this the bar scene with charlie this is one of those scenes that, given the road that Cassie and Cole have ahead of them, and in particular, Cassie's future mm-hmm. arc, this is one of those scenes that I feel like has so much more weight to it, in addition to now watching it knowing who Charlie is. <laughs> so Every line, what, every what, line in this conversation is like a lot. <laughs> Yeah, every line is a lot, and yet it also really does feel like two guys yeah, just sitting yeah. at a bar, like kind of like having a drink, and they're both coming from right. There's like the personal level to it, right? That like Cole is personally stressed out and unhappy because it it it, it is not fun to fight, even mm-hmm. though he's right. Also, like playing his partner, it. it is not fun to be fighting with somebody that you care a lot about and have all this unspoken stuff hanging in the air. Charlie's a guy sitting at a bar because his wife told him to get out of the house for him because she's Mm -hmm. sick and dying, right? So there's this very human, these are two people who have become friends, the unlikeliest of friends over the last year, and they're sitting there and kind of opening up to one another, and that's kind of the very human layer to it. And even though there are really heavy lines that make you sit back now and go, wow, it doesn't feel like like it's like a, even though there are lines that have a lot of import, it doesn't, it, it just feels like a natural conversation. Yeah, if, and that what, what like, I love about, so this is um, part of what, what I was saying, or like what we talked about earlier with the, the sexual harassment and all that, but um, like with a time travel show, the risk is that when you go to certain time periods, they can sort of beat you over the head with where they're at or what part of history they're like, um, you know, they're, involved in or you know like they're, they're, they can really kind of try and over situate you in time mm-hmm. um and and that's that, that's part of the fun of time travel but like at the same time in a show that's like the time travel is the plot device but it's not really the it's not really the like emotional center or like the center of why things are happening that's that's really the relationships in the show so like the way they situate you and like what i loved about so charlie describing like 
um, that his wife has cancer and that and, and like the the new therapy and like how how that that was just like being tried and it's like these like little um, I mean I guess that even the Lyme disease thing um, that that uh, Cassie talks about later but like there there's these like little mm-hmm. like flutters of mentions like the song and the 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 way they're dressed and there's just like you don't you don't need to be um, really like knocked over the head with where you are you can just see the price on the shop window or the advertisement on the shop window where Cole goes at the end like just that's enough like that and that this so this conversation's like part of that I love that he like the way he describes how his wife is sick that like really feels situated in 1957 but at the same time it's not like beating us over the head with it and it's part of this bigger conversation that they're having as as well so it's just like in the background um right and they sprinkle other things like like the um creepy factory boss uses like doesn't he call someone a nimrod or something right like so there's definitely like things that are like they're little details where you're like oh wow that's what you would call someone in 1957 a nimrod right um so the thing so that's the personal layer to it the crazy thing is charlie is sitting charlie is a messenger who knows everything exactly yeah. <laughs> who who knows exactly who James Cole is which also is a crazy when he's we'll get to what he says about Cassie and about why don't you go upstairs but it's like are, are you you also know that this union produce right all the messengers yep. know right like Mantis knew right so he's sitting there letting Cole it's it's one of two conversations where he just sits there and lets Cole mm-hmm. lie to him about oh well yeah like I I'm looking for communists <laughs> right and like he's totally letting him lie and he's having this like well I think you really like Cassie and he's like, because I'm actually a messenger, I know that the two of you will produce the witness, right? But he's just basically like ribbing him, being like, I know you like her. But here's the thing. It's two guys sitting at a bar having a drink. One guy, Cole, is weighed down by his mission to save the world from the Red Forest. The other guy is weighed down (laughs) by his his choice to destroy the world with the Red Forest so that he can be with his wife. And they're both sitting there having a drink together and their goals are dime Like, one, one, I mean, Charlie's struggling with ending the world, right? But it's just, like, crazy what you think about they actually have on their shoulders and what they're Well, and they're also trying to come another. to terms with how what that means for for them being in in love with their you know like with um melinda or with um right that's her name and with um with yeah. cassie like they're they're yeah like they're they're facing the opposite decision but they're in the same situation um and and you know melinda's death is very very present to charlie but at the same time like james is also <laughs> experienced this you know that that um that Cassie dies like in in the CDC like th- there's there's so much similarity that and and you also feel this level of like Charlie feeling sorry for Cole like you know that, that he's sorry that he's kind of stuck in this situation that he's he's very unlike the other messengers in that that he's like yes he's suggesting all of this like at, but at the same time or he, and he's letting Cole lie to him and all of that but he's also like he, he kind of relates to him on a very human level, which, like, I understand what you're going through because I'm going through the same thing. Right. And ultimately, it's because mm-hmm. he fell in love. Right. I mean, it's a really M- Melinda is a primary who will 
encourage her husband to bring about the Red Forest because she loves him and wants to be with him forever. And so she is abandoning her purpose mm-hmm. as a primary, right? Um, he, I mean, in some ways, all the primaries, like Tommy Crawford, kind of accept yeah. the day that they were going to die, right? But this feels a little bit more personal because she's like, it's what you always told me and we can be together forever, right? Charlie, on the other hand, is a messenger who was created by Kirshner, for the purpose of bringing about the Red Forest. And when he met her and fell in love, abandoned that purpose. Yet, because she's going to die and he will lose her, he discovers, like, for himself, the true purpose behind their faith, Mm -hmm. right? Which is to restore loved ones that are lost. And so it's this, like, Charlie has a crazy journey. Yeah, (laughs) that's... Right? That, le- that leads him right back to where... Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's such a good, like, tragedy setup. <laughs> like, I'm so yes. frustrated. <laughs> I'm, like, frustrated <laughs> with, like, happiness that, like, that you can do... Like, I'm not inherently a fan of tragedy, but there's, like, a way to do it that you can really make it work and you can give... The characters, like these two minor characters, but you know, they're, they are, they are kind of a reflection of the story and they are a reflection of Cole and Cassie and everything, but, but relatively minor characters otherwise, like allow you to see the tragedy of their circumstances, but they can still experience what they're experiencing with dignity. You know, like there's, there's a lot of like, like the way to do tragedy. I mean, you know, there, there's all, this is like a huge thing in in like literature. So I'm not. I'm, I'm just. I just want to say like the the way that that watching that should make you feel. I think even for these characters that we have no idea who they are, like that that giving them that dignity and that purpose, I, I think really makes a huge difference. Because um, like they're the f- and 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 like they're the bad guy. <laughs> like he's the bad guy, which I think is on top is of that, that really funny. But like. <laughs> It's, Alicia, if we if we kind of cut through this, is what you're saying is you felt more moved by Charlie and Melinda's tragedy than you did by the finale of Game of Thrones? <laughs> I'm so mad. It's all... <laughs> who are these? Yeah, yeah, who are, yeah, like who are these characters? We don't know them, but we we understand them, right? Yeah, and I mean, okay, so. You have this crazy circle with Charlie, and so much of what he's saying is a preview, in some ways, for the way Cassie's going to be feeling in season four, right? Like, this loss, this loss of, he gave it all up for her, right? He gave up, it's like why he was created. But losing her is what sends him over the edge to do it. And, like, in some ways, it's kind of like, not quite the inverse with Cassie, but Cassie is going to consider abandoning the mission that she's been on for four seasons, right? Like at the end, the entire purpose and possibly do the exact opposite because she's going to lose someone she loves. And so it's hard not to watch these scenes with Charlie or with Charlie and Melinda and not feel like it is a really elegant preview of Cassie and Cole's arc particularly because it's the same episode that they actually get together at the end. Yeah, no, it definitely reflects on the main cat. And that, that hits, that hits you way more because that, that reflection on, on Cassie and Cole's story. Um, And, and yeah, so even, even though we don't know who they are (laughs) really, we, we see them through Cassie and Cole's eyes and through their story. So that, that definitely, um, you know, gives us that impact more, but that, but that they, 
they choose, they make this decision too. It's like, and then, and then faced with that exact same decision, what Cassie does is a question mark. And it's like a question for, for us, which, which again, it's like being posed here for the first time, not for the first time, really just, right. it gets, it's asked over and over again, but really not in, not in a very like obvious way, the way that it is at the end, but just like, we're thinking about it. What would we do? Right. So maybe Charlie, obviously Charlie's a messenger and he knows what's up with Cassandra <laughs> Rayleigh and James Cole, right? But he also has been, he's known, he's worked with Cole for a year. So Charlie, like the audience, uh, knows that Cole has feelings for Cassie. And so can we just pour one out for the last time Cole will ever say, it's not Aww. like that. <laughs> last time he's ever going to say like it. like that, um, Cole. <laughs> it, it's, it, well, that, like, Charlie is all of us when he says, sure it is. <laughs> it's like, finally, somebody called him out. So the f- one, okay, the first line that makes me go like, ah, is the whole world could eat shit and die and it wouldn't matter if you were Damn. together. <sighs> and it's like, so two two layers to that. In the next episode, Cole is going to be faced with the choice of like saving the world or and undoing um, everything, mm-hmm. right? That brought him the happiest that he's ever been. Or fuck it, let the world get destroyed and he will live in that moment forever. I don't I, I don't think it's quite I don't know if it's quite as apparent to him that that is like the actual manifestation of the Red Forest, but he's at least gonna, you know, he's gonna have to give up everything that makes him happy yeah. to save everyone, which is the opposite of the choice that Charlie is making um, in this episode. And obviously it's also like, oh man that's exactly the conversation he and Cassie are gonna have at the very end of the series, oh, yeah. right? Like and he's going to leave it up to her, right? Like, we'll go to that house, you know, that's at the end of this episode. So the next one is, did you guys have any other kind of feels when you heard that line? It's all just like loops within loops. I know. Um, the next thing he says, when it comes down to it, the only thing you'll be wishing for is more time. And... A lot of, th- I mean, a lot of things went through my head, right? Like the final words of this series, mm-hmm. right? Like all we have is now. Um, and then obvi- like Cole well, and Cole Cass- having to erase himself. <laughs> yeah, right. And him telling Cassie, I don't have forever to offer you, right? Yep. But like, well, like none of us do, you know? I mean, that's kind of like Cole obviously is shorter on time than most. But yeah, there's a lot. Did you have thoughts, Beep? Like as you absorb that line on rewatch. I mean, it's kind of a major tenet of the entire show, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a group who wants to literally destroy time, but everybody else is constantly fighting against it, which is kind of interesting in and of itself because they're almost acknowledging in their own way that time is the enemy. And time is the enemy of the mission. Mm-hmm. But yet they're trying to save time. So it's kind of a, that's an interesting loop in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the like, you know, whether it's on this show or whether it's in real life, it's like one of the, right? Like, if you find out someone's sick or you find out something, yeah. ha- right? Then you're like, why didn't I make more time? Right. So it's just. Well, and also yeah. references right in the finale of, you know, you and I didn't get much time, but we lived a lifetime together. Oh, that's so beautiful, right? <laughs> <laughs> My heart just like dropped. Oh, that's, 
<laughs> Beat, you're supposed to keep us on track. <laughs> I'm supposed to keep you on track for this episode. <laughs> I can lob things from other episodes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I li- like just imagine. <laughs> hey, the editor makes the rules. That's all I'm saying. Just imagine like on like the woman on the fainting couch, like that. <laughs> the action that I just did when you like when you said that. <laughs> Alicia, are I'm you sitting, sitting down? down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, I know, because we're, get, we're getting close. So, yeah, um, it, it is, it, you know, it is a scene that the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, maybe they're really setting up that something's going to happen, right? You have a character calling out Cole's feelings. But then it's just the layers to it, given what Charlie knows and the decision. And the he's ro- yeah, the next the few loss. scenes, like the road to how they actually get there, it's like wild. Like I wouldn't even have thought about it, you know, before watching that. The, these are the ste- like these are the sequence of events that are going to happen. No, he's the mastermind behind I it love all, it. right? <laughs> like. Yeah, but at the other hand, he's this really sympathetic, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's so, it's so good, and there's so much, it's like, if people haven't gone back, go and go and watch that bar scene with Charlie. Um, all right, that brings us to Cole coming back up to the hotel room. We've got the, like, I love the kind of, they've never really, it's interesting, they've, ne- I feel like we've never had kind of, like, sexual tension mm-hmm. moments with Cassie and Cole, if that makes sense, right? Like, we see, kind, like, you know, she's kind of covering up with the robe. We see the pantyhose. There's a lot of suggestion kind of like old- leading up to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then he sits on the couch and she comes over. I love that she asks him sober, <laughs> right? Like, right, clearly he's been coming home, mm-hmm. right? That, there's so much that that suggests, like, that he's been coming home after having a, maybe a lot of whiskey sours. He's been sleeping on the couch for a year. Yeah. Right? While she is the bedroom. There's a lot there that that kind of very elegantly and quickly lets us know sort of what this, if the fight didn't already let us know what the last year has been like. And their um, level of familiarity. But this, that- like, new level of familiarity. Right, because they're mm-hmm. they've been roommates, right? Roommates with ridiculous sexual tension and, and literally and like <laughs> feeling no one, pressure. It's to not save like the they world. have like Jones or Jennifer or whoever to talk to. That's like just them living this fake life, essentially. Right. Yeah. Now, I find the fact that Cassie reaches out in this scene um, surprising is not the right word, but but significant given the way that she has been this season Mm -hmm. if that makes sense right like she has been understandably more emotionally closed off but they have now been as frustrating as this year has been they have been living for a year not in the post-apocalypse right like they've been in 1957 yeah and so i think it's interesting that she's the one that addresses the way that they've treated one another i don't know if Earlier, I don't like earlier in the season, it wasn't Cassie that was reaching out in that. Mm-hmm. Way. Do you know what I mean? So I know these months have been hard and we haven't been very good to one another. And it's kind of this really heartbreaking and simple way to describe taking out the pr- how they've been taking out the pressure that they've been on, on one another. And then Cole says, There's oh, never enough so time. Sad. It's so sad. And yet it's like, that one line can take you on a roller coaster because it's like, it's so sad because it's so true 
for them, mm-hmm. right? They have met and the time that they've spent with one another has always been under the most ridiculously crazy circumstances with people splintering away and being separated, right? And then now they've been un- they've been together for a year under enormous pressure and not bridging that gap. They will finally get that time at the end of this episode. And then it's going to have yeah, to all be But like end. as sad, as, sad <laughs> as this feels and like as uh, the the scenes are relatively simple, but like the way they've done this sort of like train picking up speed with like Charlie suggests that, you know, Charlie reminds Cole that he has feelings for her, that, you know, Cassie fixes a robe in the be- in the bedroom while, he- while he's looking. And then they have this conversation about they haven't been good to one another and they're fighting with like the same amount of like, you know, passion, but not so much like hostility that they did before like it's a more familiar fighting than it is a hostile like you are my enemy fighting like there's there's these like little things mm-hmm. that you're like the train is picking up speed I know what this means in storyland <laughs> <laughs> we are going to Shipsville yeah. shippers. <laughs> so, we're on high alert we're on high alert <laughs> there, yeah the, this like whole time this whole episode there's like these little things that happen or when like like, you know, when, when Cole leaves her in the coma and stuff, you're like, oh, man, like, <laughs> there's another stop that we're in. He's, like, stroking her head and stuff. <laughs> Just, like, these little things that are, like, adding up to your, and, and the whole, the whole, like, it's so sad and there's so much going on. But also there's, like, this level of me watching me being like, is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway that's like <laughs> uh, it totally is and there's there's so many few times it's so it god it is so rare in tv that something that you're emotionally invested turns in out, actually yeah, pays turns out, out. <laughs> in a in a way that is like so well executed and in a way that you have a sense that it was like as important to the people making it as it was to us, <laughs> yes. right? Like, so I just really, right. But you're like, oh my God, like, right. Like this shipper thing is like, oh my God, Charlie said, sure it is. And now I'm seeing yeah. pantyhose and like, oh my God. <laughs> exactly. And like, yeah. And then to see it actually pay off, it's like, and then finally also knowing that the whole show is over and like, I trust it. <laughs> And you, and it, yeah, it will never exactly. be fucked up. It so that moment will always up. deliver that much payoff. And then on top of, I mean, we're not there at the kiss and the everything, yeah. But like the fact that it'll pay off in like such a great way, um, that yeah, that it's really comforting to know. <laughs> <laughs> right as as we go off into these stormy seas of current television, you can always hang on tight. <laughs> <laughs> 12 monkeys. That's like um, a very real so laugh cry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like yeah. a Kristen Bell laugh cry gift just that. All right, so we've got the setting the factory trap. Um, there's a lot of really great t- d- details. Charlie is a fucking mastermind, mm-hmm. and it's fun- It's so fantastic. They, they totally, like, right, like, we are getting played as Cole is getting played, right? And, like... Um, doing this this scene when Cole lies to Charlie about why he volunteered for the roof job, and Charlie's just like, uh-huh. "Oh, so you were you were in jail too, huh? Okay, right?" And he makes eye contact. Yeah. You watch it again. 
and you're like, oh, man, right? We were all getting played by Charlie. Um, but, you know, they've got that great, like, with Reginald, the guy who's the hired um, guy to act like a primary, where he's like, time, time, time mm-hmm. to go, right? And you've got the drawing, and you're like, oh, they, like, finally found them. My favorite, like, random comic moment is the is the woman who runs into oh. <laughs> the secretary's office and says, "There's a woman with a gun," and then Cassie that's such pulls a, a gun good out. moment. <laughs> oh my god, out. it's it's a wonderful <laughs> and her face. <laughs> she's like, "Oh no, now there's another woman with a gun." Wait, that's what I just. But she's said. on my side, right? Uh, like that lady, whatever her five minute acting job. Like she did such a good job <laughs> with that one expression, totally. reaction expression that she got. And I was like, "What? Oh no! Oh yep. yes, that's what I wanted." <laughs> Oh, man. All right. So that takes us to Charlie and Melinda. Oh, gosh. Another pair of two epically screwed (laughs) lovers who never would have met if it weren't for time travel facing off against our favorite pair of epically screwed lovers who never would have met if it weren't for time travel. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... It's really, you know, like what we mentioned before, like time, like Tommy Crawford, Melinda is perfectly accepting that this is her day to die. Right. But there's that personal layer to it now. She is actively having to convince Charlie to do it because she is a primary who has abandoned like her mission right like they must know what this final paradox and like the ultimate tragedy right? is that she's a exactly she's dying exactly. too she's dying she and sh- this is the only way that they can be that's together a, that's forever like the tragedy of like oh yes that's yeah but but she yeah but but think about all of the other primaries in the story mm-hmm. right like who it's interesting, right? Because Tommy Crawford was kind of like, this needs to happen because it happened. But this is the paradox that ends the world the first time. None of the right? other primaries are in love. Well, that's what I mean, right? So she abandons the mission for love. And it's a really interesting, like, Cassie standing right there. And, he, you know, and when he's telling Cole, like, you wouldn't understand, right? And you're like... There will come a time when Cassie either comes very close to or does, in fact, abandon the mission for love. And it's like. Crazy. And interestingly enough, Cole never does. Cole never does. Right. He does it in the next episode. And he I mean, next episode and the end of the series is Cole always sacrificing everything he's gained to save the world. Yeah, that's true. B. Yeah. What's, I feel like what's important about Melinda too is that uh, maybe maybe the part that she's actually like she's sick and she's dying and she's probably in pain and she's in but mostly that she's in love is that she's the most clear-eyed of the primaries. She doesn't she has either blocked out the voices or she's so sure about what she wants and about being in love and everything that she like like she's so calm and such a like calm presence in that scene even and and then like I almost forget that she's a primary because like every primary that we've met so far has been like ooh. 
Yeah, she does but have a really sweet face. So in the show, like the primaries have been alone, and I don't mean that from a love perspective. Like clearly, he has kind of abandoned his mm-hmm. part of the mission too, and has shared this with her, and like they has know. basically mm-hmm. tried to recruit her, or not tried, has recruited her to his religion. So she sees another side of it. You know, everyone's always just said like, if these happen, everything is terrible, and she's like, no, but he showed me if it happens like this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like this. So she's converted. Yeah, you know what they are? They're like this Romeo and Juliet (laughs) of the 12 Monkeys story. You know, it's like the primary and the messenger that fell in love. And each of them, for a point, abandons their mission for one another. You know, like I mean, except they're gonna kill everybody, but whatever. You know. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet yeah, but, with a bomb. But, sure. <laughs> but think, but think exactly. about exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> but think about think about um, every messenger that we have met so far this season, right? Um, like like fucking like goal oriented superhuman like machines we're reminded of what charlie's capable of right where he sends cassie like flying but but he he killed his fellow messenger and he couldn't do it to her like right almost like like it was love at first sight right because his mission was there he would have immediately killed her and it was like love it for and it's just like they're this tragic i'm sorry i'm like such a romantic they just like break my heart (laughs) like it's it's really interesting on how they go on this there's they each have their philosophies right and you're right that's a good point he's probably helped her understand what was going on in her mind in a way that she probably never did before but they go on this i mean talk about bonding over isolation (laughs) sheesh yeah but i mean it's what i think is interesting is they go on this they take the audience on this mini journey of Finding love and loss and presenting us with a totally understandable pairing of people that you would you get why they would choose the red forest, right? She's sick. She's terminally ill. They they took us down that emotional road when he was sitting at the bar talking about his wife suffering from chemotherapy. We see her there, right? He talked about her losing her hair. We see her there with the handkerchief because she's lost her hair from like they take us on this mini emotional journeys for the first time. You're really like, I get why these people would choose the Red Forest. And it's fascinating that they do that in the episode that Cassie and Cole will finally come together It's super smart that they chose because we've seen this. We've seen these messenger missions. This is like the third one, right? And like it's it every time it like ramps up in terms of us knowing and understanding more about the primaries and the messengers and like every time they've failed as well. Like every time it's gone wrong, and like this is the one that they choose as the last messenger mission to to see and to for us to go on like an experience. And it's the one that lands the hardest because they have somehow accepted this as their fate and they're like the, the and we get to know them over the episode and and they're not they're not like evil messenger crazy primary whatever like whatever is built up in our minds or whatever they've convinced us they're they're just these two regular people that like oh like you know he's working at a factory and he's really sad because his wife is sick and like that it's just like oh and these are the messenger in primary that's like it's a very good one to choose as like after we've been through some of these messenger missions already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It humanizes them. Yeah. 
On both sides, because, I mean, we've only seen the primaries as, like, Mm -hmm. these kind of wackadoodles, and it's the same for the messengers, like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, The line that um, has a lot of level, a lot of layers to it, and also will be, Cole will answer it in the next episode. I'm sorry, Cole, but you of all people should understand this. And and the next episode, Cole's going to be like, I do understand this, but he's going choice. to make the opposite, <laughs> make the opposite choice. <laughs> so it's just such, <sighs> man, this is such a great setup for the redo. But also, like at the end of this story, there's going to be nobody who understands this better mm-hmm. than Cassie and Cole. You know, well, up to this point, though, wouldn't you say that we haven't seen any track laid about the Red Force being positive? Well, besides we, the cult and the zealots mm-hmm. who believe in it? Well, uh, no. The first hint, what I was calling sort of like the opening argument was when Aaron Marker appeared to Cassie. Uh, okay, but yeah, Cole yeah. doesn't know anything about that. Correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, Cole's first inkling. Or even right. we've had the yeah. we, we've had the pallid man like talk about that already or not yet. Like that he wants to be in that moment forever. I mean, I guess that's still really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, you know, the idea of the, the Red think- Forest being the permanent place where you can be with your loved ones, like, that that has been suggested. Cole never experiences that directly, though, does it? So, like, he's able to kind of keep an ar- arm's length even from that idea? Yeah, it's it, either usually appealing to Cassie. Yeah. Like, when it's Shaw, for example. Um, no, but I mean, Cole doesn't ever? even, like, experience it, hearing it directly from somebody, as far as, like, about the perfect moment and stuff. No, he doesn't. Yeah. No, not. I don't think so. Not in Yeah, not, he just hears it from Cassie. He overhears Shaw talking to Cassie about it. Yeah. But yeah right, he, okay. There's no one's talking. Yeah. Until until the end. And you're right. I mean, you, we said, but Cole does in the end acquiesce to let Cassie choose. Right. Like, but, mm-hmm. but yeah. Um, do you guys have anything else about other than like, uh oh, that's a really, really, really bad paradox. <laughs> Like in terms of the visuals, you're like, oh, that was not good. That's the worst one we've seen for sure. I'd give that five reallys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. From this point forward, after the paradox, I don't know about you guys, but to me, it is a series of what the fuck, how much time has passed? <laughs> So I know they just like announce times and you're like, wait, hold up. <laughs> wait, wait, uh, it's like 19, right? So, okay, so first, what the fuck? Oh my God, what the fuck? She's been in a coma for 19 days? Like what? And then, okay, can we just say that like this show has very carefully and deliberately and in moderation, I think, kind of, spread this romantic story along but from (laughs) this moment to the end of this episode it's like oh my god are we getting a fucking bedside kiss on the forehead while she's in a coma like ah like it's like so kind of swing for the fences like you get the sense like like and it makes it does make sense right the mission has fallen away right cole walks into that room and they have failed and there is nothing they can do about it, right? Like the facility is destroyed in 2044. There's no way to get back. It is finally just about Cole sitting in that room. The woman he loves is in a coma and he has failed. And so it makes sense, I think, story-wise to allow them to shift to like, 
This yeah. is pretty romantic stuff, mm-hmm. right? And we know we know Cole, we know how Cole feels. Like this is not this is not information that we don't know, but at the same time the way it's like the way all of a sudden we're seeing this come to fruition, I guess in a way like he the way he like the way he looks at her even. It's just like, "Oh, this is like 17 notches up." <laughs> yeah. Right. You're just like it's like oh, Alicia where you're like shipper, were you on like red alert at this yeah, point? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you the train has passed several stations of known <laughs> known uh, moments and you're like, "Uh-oh." <laughs> it's also one of yeah, I mean, it's one of those scenes that like I always marvel at scenes where actors have to emote on their own with no with no partner in the, like right because Amanda Shula is still lay there with her eyes closed right and so it's just like Aaron Stanford emoting by himself and you kind of get this sense of he is like fucking wrecked you know and like I failed the world like the world is gonna end and so when he's like the best thing I can do is to leave it's just like it's just such A-plus romantic angst, right? The person leaving, even though they don't want to because they think that's the best thing for the person it's they the love. the lowest point in like, the story. Man. You're like, okay, the only way we oh. can go is up. <laughs> like, this is the worst point. And it, yeah, it's so, it's so sad. But at the same time, like, this is a scene where you start holding your breath. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, this mm-hmm. is, it's very sad. It's very, like, epic and tragic and everything. But, like, also you start holding your breath. As soon, like, and and then she opens her eyes and you're like like okay that that that's the last thing she happened that's the last thing that happened and now she's awake like that yeah anyway this is <laughs> this right. is this is the, yeah, like, yeah. the real like what is she going to do now and she doesn't even know what happened but like you know <laughs> yeah right we know and what i what, what i love is that there has been a continue like okay cuz they're going to have a conversation later debating about what he did mm-hmm. in this moment, right? And so from Cole's perspective, they he has felt guilt since season one, since he watched her crying outside that tent in Haiti over what his entry into her life did to her. And they have gone around and round about it, right? They talked about it in the 40s and in 100 years. Um, they talked about it in Lullaby. And when she when she was like, you got to give yourself a break. I make mm-hmm. my own choices, right? And they've gone around and around about this guilt versus agency, his impact on her life versus her choices. But the takeaway that we should like is in Lullaby, Cole was like, the only reason why I'm doing this is to give you a safe place to go back to. So all he has left in this moment of utter failure with respect to the mission is there's no red storm outside right now. If she wakes up, it is better for her if I'm not here. Because maybe she can have, right, when, when they were talking in Lullaby and she was mm-hmm. like, yeah, but I would still die at the CDC. And he's like, yeah, but you could have had some years of real happiness, right? Like, so that's, that's like Cole's perspective, right? And it's like, you've got, they just ring it for like maximum angst. You've got like uh, kiss on the forehead. He's leaving with tears in his eyes. And, you're just and again, like, the reason oh, all of this right? works like, is that like you get it. 
from his perspective and you get it from her perspective. So this circle that you're talking about that they go back and forth over and over again, they're both right. (laughs) And that's, I think that's like the reason that we care about it so much or that it impacts us so much is like they're, neither of them is like, you don't, you don't get mad at Cole for leaving at that point because you understand why he feels that way. And like that makes it land so much harder. Right. And we see what that, emotionally cost him because we see right but so we see that from his perspective on the other hand i also am super like exactly. from cassie's perspective of what <laughs> the fuck all right so before <laughs> it, when i was in a coma and you like, didn't even what? hide like, that well so on some level you wanted me to find you anyway just take some time like he like it, to, the fact that he buys a house under morris morrison <laughs> It's just like, come find me, my love. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm trying to picture, I'm trying to picture, like, it, Cassie going for drinks during her six month um, when she's by herself. Like, you know, I mean, I'm totally making this up, but like, you're with, with friends. And it's like, and then I woke up from a coma and he left me. And your friends would be like, fuck that guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. So... The important thing, because the other, and I don't want to give, uh, you know, obviously it is super exciting if you have been rooting for Cassie and Cole to get together and all that happens in this episode. But I don't want to give short shrift to, there are many, many television shows that set up complicated mysteries and clues that we obsess over and it doesn't pan out. <laughs> and I'm sure people listening can think in their minds of many shows that are examples of that. This episode is an unbelievably meticulously planned payoff for this mysterious vision that we have been seeing since season one. And so the other thing that's happening from this point in the episode is it cuts from Cole leaving to then we go to Cassie's head and we see a we see a replay of the red tea vision of the house of cedar and pine and it stops right with right at the moment of like Mm-hmm. There's a man, right? Like, go to him. And it stops right up there. But we see Cassie's whole journey r- around the Red Tea Visions, right? So we don't just see the Red Tea Visions. We also see Cassie in the bath earlier in the season with Olivia, right? We're reminded of of the, like, my mind going to, like, prepare her, right? Like, this whole crazy journey she Cassie's been it's on. It's coming to a head, the visions. yeah. They re- right, they remind, they're setting that all up. Because it's all about to finally pay off at the end of this episode. So we've got Cassie waking up. And again, just like for Cole, the mission is over. It's about emotion and how he feels about her. The first thing she asks for is Mm -hmm. him. And then the doctor says, it's been... (laughs) What the fuck? Yeah. And everyone's like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then he's like, it's now 1958. And Cassie and the audience all go... What? <laughs> Time so, is like running away does, in this episode. It is madness. Like yes. considering that the compelling other argument that's being made is that we need to stop time. Like they have really made it like run. Right? Oh my God, such a good point. Yeah. I mean, if you can imagine, so you're Cassie, you wake up, you you have failed, right? As soon as she hears that there was an After like, six months of nothing, you have failed. Right. You wake up. Cole has had, me. I mean, this is, it's a good place to remember, like, to remind ourselves, right? Because I think it's it's part of the clash that they're having later on when they're talking, right? Cole has lived with this failure for 
a mm-hmm. year, right? Cassie's only been living with that failure for six months. So she, but by yeah. the time she goes to meet him. So in this moment, she wakes up. She's, she's, it's, it's explained to her with the explosion. She knows what that means, that they have failed. And then she doesn't know if Cole is alive or dead. And she is fucking stranded in 1958. <laughs> then she goes back to the hotel room. Imagine what you would feel walking in and seeing everything gone. Sheer panic. <laughs> right? Like, at first she'd be like, oh, my God, thank God he's yeah. not dead. Right? Because only Cole yeah. would have taken all of that stuff down. Right? But then, can you imagine the wave? Anger. Yeah. Betray. Anger and betrayal and hurt that he left her. Not only did he leave her in a coma, he took all trace of himself and disappeared. Like. Yeah. that That's a moment. And that's like a, the reason I say panic also is like that's when it sets in that she's also stuck. Like, the mission's over, they failed, he left, and she's stuck. Like, that, <laughs> that is some, like, crazy level of, like, yeah, of, like, hurt and betrayal, but also, like, what the fuck do I do now? <laughs> right, it's, like, super not awesome to be a woman from 2016 or the type of autonomy that she's attained, even, yeah. like, physically with strength and be stuck in 1957, right? Like, yeah. You know, she can't even be, like, a doctor. So, but shout yeah. out to Cassie for making it, like... <laughs> Right? Smarty pants. I love her. (laughs) I know. She's, I mean, I know Deacon's our ultimate survivor, but man, Cassie's a survivor, right? Like, Mm -hmm. whether it's now, whether it's at the end of the show. I just, I love how, like, hyper competent she is. Both of them are. Like, there's no, like, even, like, Jennifer, who is, like, um, sometimes the, shown as kind of the, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, whatever. No, she's still competent, though. <laughs> like, even when she doubts herself. But, like, in, in this, like, I love that Cassie and Cole, like, seamlessly got jobs at the factory doing stuff. And then Cassie gets another job being a nurse. Just, like, super, super competent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, okay. Then we get it. The next what the fuck <laughs> is the black screen goes up. Six months later. <laughs> You're like, stop. What? <laughs> stop. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the last 20 minutes of this episode are just like being repeatedly punched in the face with what the fuck <laughs> moments. Okay. So now when Cassie, it's now been two years since Cassie and Cole splintered away at the end of Resurrection. Like... That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. This this is that was the last episode. It's now been two years. Um Oh, they do it so well though. Like that's I, I mentioned it earlier, but like the idea of using time jumps as like holding patterns for nothing happening and yet at the same time giving us a feeling of panic is perfect. Like it's a perfect way to use time jumps. Cause we don't feel shortchanged for having missed anything, but at the same time we get that feeling like that tension, that panic, that all of that is like so much worse that we're now saying like, wait, stop, like, don't go that fast. Like we, yeah, we don't want to stop time, but like, just wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Um, okay. So Cassie is alone. It's the first time she's had in several like, like when did Cole first interact with her? 2013 years. Right. So it was at least three years in our time plus, let's say another year in the post-apocalypse, right? So it's like, let's just say roughly it's the first time, that's four years, 
you add a year of living in 1957, five years in a coma for six months. Now another six months, right? <laughs> Is this six or seven years that Cassie has been not living a life, right? She's been living a mission and at great personal cost. This is the first time in that span, like that she's actually not had to worry about the fate of the world. And this montage is, it's pretty like quick, but I think it gives you a real sense of not only of healing and like, Obviously, like Cassie's a nurse, she's assisting the doctor. It's kind of the return of Cassie, the healer. But it's a time for she's writing in a journal, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a time of calm. It, she's alone. That's a time of self-reflection. Um, there's peace, right? Even if she's stranded, mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's something that she's never had. And I think the time that she has and the time that Cole is having – finding a home for the first time is really key to them being able to get to like an emotional place where they can actually like have a relationship. And I, yeah, they heal, they heal alone, which I think is, it's like beautiful in, in a way, like they, they take a break. Like it's not so much that it's important that they heal alone, but like they get, they both get a break and they both get some introspection and like some time to just be like, what am I doing and what's important to me on their own? Like when they're basically stuck alone, it's not like they chose to be alone, but that what they make of it is that they, they take that time to really center themselves. Yeah. And, and that's good. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because it, it, it both is, it's so appropriate for their characters and the very, right? Like mm-hmm. seeing Cassie be a nurse and advising that doctor and using her knowledge from the future, right? <laughs> It reminds you of who she used to be and how there's a part of her that when she's on these missions is, you know, like not it's not who she gets to be. Right. Like, when- yeah. And it's not even who she used to be. It's who she always is. Whenever there's a moment, she chooses to be that person. Whenever there's like peace and rest and whatever over and over again. I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but like she that that repetition of like she always cho- goes back to that. Is like it's very consistent and very true to her. Yeah, and I mean, you were on at the beginning of this season, Alicia, when we had the "Not Every Caterpillar Becomes a Butterfly" montage, mm-hmm. right? And we talked mm-hmm. about metamorphosis, and this is sort of the next stage of Cassie's metamorphosis because she's a much more emotionally open and hopeful person in season three, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily what would have happened having had your son like all of the loss that she experienced yeah you know so she's more she's way more centered yeah so I mean the really fun fact is um I actually like Lyme disease nobody knew what Lyme disease it wasn't officially discovered until 1982 so that it's like a fun thing that they picked out and the doctor <laughs> thinking she means like a fruit when really it's it's named for oh. Lyme, Connecticut, where uh, they had figured out that there was a correlation between the disease and deer ticks. So um, always, of course, always the research on this shows clever always yeah. on point. So this is the part that I find really moving, particularly on rewatch and particularly when you think about the epilogue to this series so 
when she's in the bar and she's writing in the journal and just like the act of having the luxury of time for introspection and being able to write in a journal tells you so much, right? Like about where she's at and mm-hmm. about what this time is like. We get the return of the where you, where are you right now monologue. And you were on for the first time we heard this in Cassie's voice, which was the flashback yep. in 202. Mm-hmm. And again, the where are you right now we interpreted that in 202 as wondering, right? She was trapped in a time that was not her own, not knowing where Cole is. She's once... Same thing, yeah. Same thing now. She's once again trapped in a time. She has no idea where Cole is. So the monologue is directed to him. I will... So the I want to say one thing about the journal itself. Yeah. Like when you said the writing about the journal. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea... So it, I like the idea that she does that as a also as a way not just like yes it represents self-reflection but also it represents like writing down history because that's what she kind of uses it for like how what she remembers and what she feels about what she remembers and I I like that idea of like she whenever she gets a chance she's like time is a sieve my mind is a sieve we're gonna write this down like Mm -hmm. everything otherwise everything like you know things get undone things get forgotten and all that like and and whenever she gets a moment she's shown writing things down and like it's it's like in a way to remember them and like I'm like oh this is this is like this is she's writing her history and and that she's she wants to remember it um and not not just that it's giving her and the the time to self-reflect but also to just to just write it down which I really I find really like important for her yeah yeah it's yeah um the other the, I mean, but there's, it's interesting because, right, we hear this, mo- this monologue is going to be, mm-hmm. it, we're going to hear it a couple more times. Um, I think Jennifer says it in season three. We're obviously going to hear it at the end of the series in Cole's voice again. And it's, you know, I, I think in this case, what I find so interesting is the way they take the same monologue and it constantly means different things. Mm-hmm. And so this time it's, it's Cassie talking to Cole and it is about like yearning, right? It, it, it's about where are you right now? Like she, and what we will find out in a minute is she's actively looking for him, right? Like she's looking mm-hmm. for him under the alias. Somewhere warm, right? Now when we watch it, we know oh, yeah. he's at the house of Cedar and Pine, which will be their home. Next to someone you love. I, I feel like there's like hurt and longing there like why did he leave her <laughs> you know and then she hears someone order a whiskey sour and she looks like oh like oh she's yeah. for a minute, and then we are everyone's like <gasps> and then it, nope um and then we return to an image we've seen a lot which is cassie looking out the window and that used to be mm-hmm. tied to looking for titan right but she's yeah standing at the window and that's when you get the knock at the door with the western union um, that she and we realize she has been looking for him this whole time, right? And we get the 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 call back. Jennifer first used that that alias in one hundred and two, and she heard him. He said Morris Morrison and Lullaby, and then we see that address. And I'm going to point out the address because we're going to get to sort of the epilogue of the show in a minute. Ten Old Pines Road, um, Binghamton, New York. Um, and I think it's really like. So that's sort of like the, the the road of healing and searching for Cole and being sort of lost in time, but having time to heal and time for introspection, right? 
Now think about this post-coma montage and the series finale epilogue. So Ugh, once again, I love this. right. So once again, I love it. Once again, she's alone. She's back in the time she's supposed to be, but she's stranded from everyone that she cared about from the team once again, right? And her memories are coming back. We see her, we see Cassie in the epilogue as a doctor again and healing, and in her words, healing one person at a time. We see her on the porch of the house in Cedar and Pine writing in a journal. And do you guys, like, do you think she's she's writing to Cole or she's just sort of writing in a journal to herself in the epilogue? It doesn't really matter. I mean, same kind of like introspection and writing. Yeah, I always think she's writing to to remember. Like, I, I think she's always writing to like work out her feelings and to to make sure there's like a like a record because I, I think especially once she's back in the epilogue too I mean I guess now too like she's the only one who knows and she can't talk to anybody about it so she's just like where where do I put this information I always feel that way because I, I yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so okay so she's alone stranded from everyone um heal she's a healer again right we see her treating the child we see her writing in a journal we see her searching for Ten Pine, Ten Pines Road. Again, this time it's a real estate um, website that she finds mm-hmm. the house in Cedar and Pine. So she's again here. She doesn't know she's searching, but she right. It's the address. We it's the only two times we actually see the address like in the entire series. Um, and what I think is so. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but the mirror image. It's just wonderful. Is in this episode, the monologue is in Cassie's voice, and she's the one searching for Cole, and she finds him outside the house in Cedar and Pine. In the epilogue, we will hear Cole say the monologue, and he's searching for her, and he finds her outside at the house of Cedar and Pine. I mean, I hope it was it was on purpose. You know what? Even if it wasn't on purpose, it's but I, I, it probably is. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how that works out. That like that the, that this story like imprinted on the world, <laughs> right? Regardless of time, like it's just an imprint that exists no matter what. And I I love that idea. Yeah, you know, it's like the total. It's the reversal. Like who finds who at the house? Who's saying mm-hmm. the monologue again? it's another insane for that Cassie she never right everything that she lived with Cole was erased right so it's another he's coming up but she remembers it right like you know like so and it's like the it's like time doesn't remember it exactly the same but it's there and the the intent is there and the idea and the emotions are there and maybe all of it's not exactly the same but it's it's all there, and and that that the the core of it never got erased because it's just it's it's no matter what universe or whatever what timeline it's always going to happen somehow that way. Right. I, I love that idea so much. Right. And it's like, where are you right now? And it's like because this is where they'll always find one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I just was like watching <laughs> watching this whole post coma, and I was like, wait a second. This is like the epilogue and the finale. And it was like this it's like lightning. Brilliant. Uh, so okay. So do you guys have anything else about that? Or are we gonna actually we're fucking going there? <laughs> <laughs> going to Ten Pines Road. So <laughs> I I don't know about you guys. This Cassie pulling up to this house 
and the holy shit moment is one of my favorite, like, it truly is like one of my top 10 favorite moments in TV because it was so next level, even beyond, I will say, even for me, even beyond the Hannah reveal and lullaby, it was like a moment of like, holy shit, they, this is a show that is really going to pay stuff off, right? Like, I can't believe we're getting an answer to this mythology, this huge mythology question that we've all been speculating about in season two, and they're giving us answers, but they're raising so many more. And it's just that moment of, like, excitement of, like, oh, my God, okay, this show is, like, for real, <laughs> like, type of thing. There, so there were two things that I, like, immediately, when I first watched it, the first time watching it through, now now I'm, like, I love it. The first time, I was terrified. <laughs> like, this was, like, some haunted house bullshit. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> Keep driving. Don't stop. <laughs> so, I was so, like, legitimately so scared because that, especially that vision, like, if I'm watching it, like, by myself, or whatever, that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Yes, yeah. And, and then this, the second thing, <laughs> the second thing is like, I had this like momentary fear of like, please show, don't do this to me. Because I, sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And and it ultimately they didn't do it. Obviously, they, they, they never strayed from their kind of central point. But there was this moment of like, don't make them the bad guys, please. Like, <laughs> that, like, as soon as that happened and she saw that vision and it was her and it was, like, her all along, I, the, I was like, oh, my God, please don't be the bad guy. Please don't be the bad guy. I know everything I've been told for two seasons is telling me that you're not the bad guy. And the show is, is four seasons long. It's not like it goes on forever. <laughs> and, like, so, so it's, like, a complete story. So please don't tell me for two seasons she was the central good guy and for two seasons she's going to be the bad. Like, you know, there was, like, this momentary, like, flicker of a thought where I was, like, is it, are are they the villains? Like <laughs> oh well, I mean, in some ways, they are the ones that drop the virus. Right. So yeah, but like right. I was, but freaking, yeah, that was. So you thought Cassie might be because I was freaking out that it meant Cole was the witness. Like if this is his house and that's where she was trapped in in meltdown, I was like, oh fuck, he's the witness, right? That's what was going through. Well, my yeah. Head. So I I don't know that I like separated her, like you know she's gonna be the bad guy. Like I I honestly like grouped them as a, are are they the bad guy? Is like are are they the problem? And ultimately, I guess they were the problem. But like <laughs> Cole was the problem. But yeah. But I was like, but I didn't I didn't I really had this like momentary fear of that that was gonna be like dark. Um, and I knew it wasn't because, like, you told, like, you know, when you told me to watch it, like, <laughs> it was over. <laughs> so, so I like knew that's what that where it wasn't where it was going. But like, I remember there was yeah, because because instantly when I saw that, it's an amazing payoff. But like at first, there was just like clear fear. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure this is a huge. It's not only the like. I, I I think sometimes the whole it's going to ruin a show when you actually get the romantic pairing together is a little bit overblown. I think that there's still mm-hmm. a lot more interesting stories to tell. But like it, it, between paying off the mythology and actually going there romantically with them, it, it is potentially two jump the shark moments in one episode. 
you know, like, yeah, right. Like if the myth- if people were thought that the mythology moment wasn't cool, right? Like, well, that just happened in two twelve. So you know, like, what's gonna happen, yeah. right? So <laughs> well, honestly, though, my ultimate, uh, my like immense relief that then they get together and then they just claim that house is their own. Like they're like, nope, this is our energy. <laughs> I loved that. Like and then, it's like, like you know, within minutes, I was like, oh, that that that's where this is going. That this is like taken away from them. Yeah, and this is their home. Like, then I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> but, like, I was so, like, at the edge of my chair. Like, because, mostly because I was really invested in it. <laughs> but, like, I yeah, there I was just like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then, like, honestly, it also made the payoff of, like, this is our house, like, even more, even more enormous. And, like, the, the scenes in the next episode where they're just, like, together and warm and cuddly. Like, I, I love those scenes now, <laughs> even though it started out in the scary house. <laughs> I know. I, we're going to need a minute just to, like, yell about the, like, butterfly clip moment because I can't I can't do that on, on right? <laughs> I can't do that the next pod. So, okay. And the, and the razor. Sorry. Anyway. Ah, okay. So, all right. Let's get into actually the way the scene unfolds because it is all, it's not only... It's not only that it's this great payoff, it is, it's that it is like perfectly executed in one clue at a time until they finally all piece it together. And the thing that's great is we, the audience, we have gone on this journey with Cassie with these visions since season one. And we're the only, right, we're omniscient, we're the only there's no other character in the show that knows the visions. It's basically like this experience that we, the audience have had solely with Cassie Mm -hmm. and seeing these visions in her head, right? Like it's kind of a very (laughs) personal kind of relationship that you have with like, in terms of point of view with a character, right? Like it's it's almost comically infuriating how like nonchalant he is. Right. Chill, chopping wood, like right. Oh, I cut my finger. Oh, well, oh, I'm a home. I'm a homeowner now. It's all good. Right. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're hilarious. we're firmly in Cassie's point of view. So the thing that I love about this is that for both Cassie and the audience, this is a memory of tomorrow. We have experienced mm. this over and over again with the visions and with Cassie, never known what it means. And so when she walks up, we are experiencing all of these images and recontextualizing them with her. Like we are with Cassie's point of view, the whole thing, the way it's shot. You've got the, the slow drive up. The camera is like close in on her face. We don't see the house until she sees the house. The music gets louder right when we finally see it. And then she's placed to the left facing the house just like we saw over and over again since season one in the visions and then they fucking go to a commercial break and you're like can you imagine if you'd watched that live you would have been like what the fuck and then the next thing we see is a hand cutting wood and you're like huh I wonder what that's about and then you see it's cool and you're like why the fuck is cool there right like you I mean for a second I like forgot the reason that why she's, she's going the there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because they kind of yeah. suck you into this hole in her perspective of, oh my God, it's the house I've seen in my head over mm-hmm. and over and over again. That They really kind of like lulled me into forgetting about the whole reason why she was there, right? And just a shout out to Professor Aaron. I think this is another moment where you need to be worried about whether Cole has his tetanus shots. <laughs> 
consistent worry about him. It's a consistent worry. I really, I really, I really hope that uh, she was a nurse, so maybe she has access to giving it later. Um, all right. So then he looks up, and it's like this, you know, only in the movies and television moment of the like, he sees her, she sees him. And then, you know, like, you hear the first piano note of the casserole theme, and you're like, oh, it's on. It's on. (laughs) (laughs) It's on. Um, And so the way this conversation unfolds, Alicia, that's so funny, right? He is infuriatingly calm. And so point of view is really, really important because they are coming from very different points of view, not only in in what their life experience has been for the last year or six months, but also about his decision to leave, right? So mm-hmm. if you're Cole, it's been a year since you failed. You've had a year of who knows what he did in that time, right? But fully being able to like reckon with the fact and like reconcile with the fact that there's nothing there's nothing you can do. And the sky's been blue for a year, right? So like, yeah. realistically, what are you supposed to do? And so he was driving around. He f- saw a house for sale. He bought a fixer-upper, <laughs> right? Like, but, you know, like he, first of all, like, the last time he saw her, she was in a coma. And she's pro- he's probably, I mean, he, I know he left, but he's probably always wondered. So he sees her yeah. there in front of him, awake and recovered and healthy and so you would feel joy at that right mm-hmm. like and since you know the one thing cole has never had since his father died when he was a little boy is a home and like peace right like he was raised in the apocalypse basically having to like scavenge with ramsey other than raritan he's never really like i think he called raritan home at one point in season one and so it's such a important character moment for him and trying to understand how calm and peaceful he is because it's like the first span of time that he has had since he was a little boy of peace and knowing where his next meal is coming from and a home right and a year is a long like it's a long time to like develop long enough time to develop a routine and all of that like he's He's, like, well in that routine and and just doing what he's doing every day. Like, I I think he, like, yeah, it's infuriating to watch. He's just, like, doing whatever. But, like, for him, that's, like, (laughs) that's, like, his daily life. And it's, like, therapeutic almost. It seems therapeutic for him. Yeah. And, I mean, and from his perspective, he told her and Lullaby what he was going to do. He, I I think there's a little bit, I'm not saying that it comes out of, um, pettiness at all he reached out emotionally and she shut it down and uh, you know like I when she calls him later on like a coward like I I think there's a little piece we can get to like to unpack there right like he was already rejected right so like yeah now that the mission's over that book is closed uh, yeah you can you can have more than one motivation for doing something at a time Mm -hmm. he did i think he did believe he was doing something noble you see how upset we saw how upset he was when he was leaving her right he Mm -hmm. thought he was doing it for her um then you've got cassie's point of view (laughs) she was in a coma for six months woke up and he fucking ran away and now she comes up and she's like what the fuck? You bought a house and you're chopping wood and you were like, right? Like, <laughs> why did you leave me 
in a coma, right? It's like, it's almost like a horrible, like, right? Like, just like, can you think of a worse scenario for someone to leave you than when you're helpless in a coma stranded in 1958? And then six more months, she looked for him, she finds him, and she finds him in Nightmare House? (laughs) Yeah! Right, I mean, so that, right. So you've got the whole personal of, like, what the fuck, why did you leave me? Right? And, like, uh, you know, it's been clear all along that Cassie has feelings for him, right? So it's Mm -hmm. like, you wake up, you finally, like, potentially do have time to really sit there and think about what you feel because there's nothing else around you, right? You have no other responsibility. You could actually face your feelings and he's gone and you don't know why and you have to find him, right? And we've always seen, I mean, in season two, too, as the audience, we've all, the camera always lingers on her breakdown after whenever they've had conflict or like a fight or an interaction that went really poorly. Like the camera always stayed on her. And so we know, like, as the audience, like, we we are aware of her feelings for him as well. Like, I think it's been pretty clear um, until this point. Right. And I mean, so if you were Cassie, like, driving to this house, you would have been practicing in your head, like, okay, what am I going to say to him? Right? Mm-hmm. And, like, you think you're just going to be processing this hurt over why did he leave? But then she gets there and it's what, right? When he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you doing here? Right? I mean, like, all of a sudden he's the fucking, he's at the crazy fucking witness house that's been in her head since season one. Right? It's just like, what must be going on? It's so absurd. It's so absurd. Like, how do you deal with all of this? Right? It's just like, how can one mind pray Process. I think Amanda Shul plays this so well mm-hmm. because there's so much emotion, but it's also like we are on this ride with her of this insane deja vu. Mm-hmm. And so then they get into like the actual, like it's kind of like returning. It's like referring to like Lola, but like, why did you leave? I told you what I was going to do. I was going to find a place for you to be happy. Do you guys have... I mean, do you guys have thoughts or it's like not that big a deal in terms of like she calls him out a lot for being a coward, both in this conversation and then inside the house. Do you guys have thoughts on sort of the maybe there was more than one motivation? Like, yes, he was doing something noble, but maybe he also it hurt to stick around with someone that doesn't want to be with him. I don't I don't think any decision ever has like a single motivation. He made a safe place for her because he's the one who's always ruined her life, right? <laughs> which like again, it's the same argument that they always have which Agency. is she makes her choices. Yeah, right? Right. So like it is a central conflict between the two of them that has gone back forever. Right? Guilt versus agency. And he made a unilateral decision for her that she never asked him to. Right? And she's always pushed back on that. So, you know, then they have obviously like the Cassie's only been processing this failure for six months. It's finally the first time in a, right, that she can actually talk to someone about how they failed and what does that mean? And Cole's just like, dude, I'm chill, man. I, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. I'm done figuring this out. And you can see Cassie being like, what the fuck, right? You'd be like, cool, have you been, like, smoking weed in the house of Cedar and Pine? Like, why are you so calm? The world is going to end, right? Like, so uh, it's, it's like, really, it's just such an interesting character place for them to be 
Cole has always been the one that like believed in the mission and he truly is reconciled with the fact like he in in some ways they're both right right like mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do on the other hand how do you not have moments of oh my god is the world gonna end like how can you say that there's nothing we can do right and then you have kind of like you he says you can hate me for leaving but I did that for you and she's like no you didn't you did it because you're afraid which is so interesting because in the last episode it was Cole calling her out for being afraid right like running away from emotions Mm -hmm. and now I kind of feel like in this episode it's Cassie who's the one who's pushing the emotions and trying to break through this wall that Cole has put up and it and Cole is in the self-sacrificial role Yes, yeah. Which, which she was before, which because again, we knew that she cared for him always, but that she had kind of put that wall around her. And it's now, now she's like, now, they've both had time and they've both made the opposite decision, which is so tragic, but it's, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so then she's about like, Cassie almost leaves twice when you're like, oh my God, please don't go. <laughs> so she's about to go. And then it starts raining, and we see the blood on the grass. And then it's just like, holy, oh my God. <laughs> holy shit. It is like a visual puzzle falling into place. And it is the way it's all edited, and, and like the, it's like the, in the vision, the drop is in reverse going up and we see in the present it's going right like all of the like choices mm-hmm. they made where it's almost like a film negative versus real like it's 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 like all the pieces are falling into place and then we cut to i think it's interesting like cassie goes back right being a healer he's mm-hmm. got a wound let's tend to it right go inside the house it they're at the sink they're in the reverse position of whose hand is hurt and who's the one taking care of the injury at a sink as they were in season one, when you guys, if you remember when Cassie came home from being kidnapped after the night room, after she drank the tea for the first time, she got distracted because of the red tea vision and she burned her hand. And Cole was the one at the sink taking care of the hand. So now it's Oh, you re- bet I remember because like hashtag wound tending. <laughs> <laughs> wound tending true. We're getting there. <laughs> Another station passed. <laughs> Alicia's like, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> so you're like, if we have a coma bedside confession and wound tending, they're totally going to kiss in this episode. I was going to make like the train sound, but I know Beep would take that and put it as like, the first. <laughs> so I'm and not going like to do it. And like a theme song from now on. Plus ringtones. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then she is washing the wound and then with her aunt, we hear Olivia's voice. We hear them say at the same time most of the blood is washed away. And I can't imagine how fucking crazy it would be to hear yourself say say that and then realize that it's deja vu that you're saying it like i don't know how cassie's brain did not break in this moment it is it's it's just insane (laughs) Um, she's yeah she's being surprisingly cool (laughs) i mean she plays it really well and cole's just like what's the matter (laughs) it's like cool there's a there's a part of me that i also wonder that she's like getting more and more resigned to her fate and that's kind of also that's also what leads her to be like, well, fuck it. I'm going to take this into my own hands and get some joy for myself if what's going to happen is going to happen anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and th- and then she moves into, 
Cole's living room, which is like the outside of the house was the season one vision mystery, right? Mm -hmm. But we, the inside of the house has two significances for us as an audience. It is first the place where the witness communicates both to Olivia and to the pallid man. It's also where we saw Cassie trapped by the witness inside her own mind. And so again, we are in Cassie's point of view where she walks into the room, sees that grandfather clock and you're like, Oh my God, this is where she was imprisoned. And now she's here with Cole. Like, what does that mean? And then we get the entire montage of everything edited together with all of the all of the scenes. Like it's like playing it all. It's like, okay, now here's all the puzzle put in order, into place, all leading up to her saying, a memory of tomorrow. And it's just like it's such a cool mythology review. There's the Alice in Wonderland callback, though, that we were waiting for. <laughs> because oh, yeah. that's exactly what happens in that story. <laughs> Wait, remind us super quick. Um, so in the story, oh, yeah. So um, I, it was uh, Alice talking with the White Queen, or it was in Alice Through the Looking Glass, where she talks about um, bleeding before the wound happens, like a memory of tomorrow. And they're talking about how time is circular and does it matter which came first, um, because bas- because you're you know she she bleeds anyway, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then she gets pricked, um, and and that's that's the phrase the phrase is in there that exact phrase a memory of tomorrow mm-hmm. is in Alice in Wonderland yeah and we have it out we have Alice in Wonderland references again in the next episode with drink me and all of that so yeah Ugh. okay so you know obviously at this point we're cutting back and forth to Titan we have the final fight. And Cole is doing his best to kind of maintain his cool. He's like, look outside. The sky is blue. Live your life, right? Like, <laughs> And Cassie's like, but this isn't permanent. And I still die at the CDC. And Cole, like, again, they both have points, right? And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm still going to die. And Cole's like, I mean, honestly, who who, who knows? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know how you still die at the CDC in the plague in 2000. What is it? It's 18, 2016. I guess it depends what it shifts. But like, if you're this age in 1957, right? Like, yep. And we don't have a way to time travel. Well, and we already changed times a couple. We changed time a couple times. So who knows? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then you have the like, Cole be like, maybe Ramsey succeeded. And then it cuts to Ramsey. <laughs> Nope, no sorry. Decidedly Cole. not succeeding. Decidedly not. <laughs> so then um I feel like I feel like they're arguing and they're getting you're like, wow, they're arguing and they're standing really physically close to one another. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have her finally be like, okay, fine, like fuck it. If you have us all figured out, I'm leaving. And that's finally when Cole starts to crack. And then he's like, he yells out to her and she's like, well, I'm leaving you alone. Like, that's what you want. And he's like, that's not why I left. And then you have this whole agency thing again. where he's like, I wanted you to be free of me. And it's the same thing she's been pushing back for almost two seasons. I never asked to be free of you. And then, I, like, uh, Beep, you may just have to, like, rest. <laughs> and then, and then, you counter Your voice got really high. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't understood anything you've said in now about 20 seconds. It is, I, it's my favorite thing ever to have people argue and then have that be the emotional breakthrough. Me too. It's so good. I love it. 
<laughs> and it's so in character for her to be to, to call him out and be like, you coward. That's not why you left. You left because you're in love with me. But she doesn't say it in return. Right. Nope. It's like, mm-hmm. right. She's not going to say it until the series finale when she's saying goodbye to him. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's when that's when she actually says, I love you out loud back. That that's the moment. And so I it's like, right. It's such a great like. There's so much emotion, but I feel like everyone is, like, so in character, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and then it's, like, shit gets real. Because then Cole steps up to it and is, like, all right, fine. If we're going there, then I have something to say, which is also totally true. And you pushed me away, so in the end, you'd have nothing to lose. And now you don't. That's, like, such an epic romance line, by the way. (laughs) The epic line. Like, uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to say epic like three times. Yeah, it's <laughs> so epic. And then you have that like, mad burn, too. I mean, <laughs> she like, literally can't say anything back to that. She's like, oh, hell, whatever. <laughs> the best you part win, is that I this, guess. this argument is so familiar that it's like not like we know what the argument is about, which is like why everything that they say, like so specifically, we're like able to break down because it's not like some new thing they're having a fight about like we we know this this is like a scab that they're picking at and like we like have as well which is just that's what makes it even better because we like we it's not something like flippant or unfamiliar or whatever like it's it's something that has happened over and over again and finally it's like reached its tipping point right i mean she's calling him out for another reason why he left right Mm -hmm. and and that's true and that, and I'm sure there was fear and fear of rejection, right? Uh, that that was part of that. And then he calls her out for when she shut him down in Lullaby, and he reached out and he was like, "Let's make the most of the time that we have." And she said, "It's the you know, it's the losing that haunts us." And he calls her out all the way back for that moment from Lullaby, and they're both right. And it's just like it is all out on the table, right? Like everyone's just mm-hmm. said shit out loud, and then. I don't think, like, I don't know about, I was holding my breath, and it's just beautifully acted. Because you watch it play out on Amanda Shul's face of, like, what am I going to do with this, right? And it's like, and then I love that it, it, it is her that reaches out and, like, bridges that gap. And it's just, like, if you, if I could, like, script amazing kisses it's like when the woman does it and then the man is surprised and then the man is like oh, i know i love that one ah! <laughs> it is i best. love that too it is my favorite also <laughs> it is the best and then like i mean i think we just need to have a moment of thank you to our lord and savior amanda Schul, who insisted <laughs> that they need it <laughs> more than just a kiss like we thank you and like also like I the music I I feel like the music for this scene is a little bit different in the way that it's scored in that it has it has a vocal piece right yeah and it's, and it's like so a reverent yeah yeah and it's crazy because it's yeah reverent it feels almost like um religious isn't the right word but it's I know like what you mean like a like spiritual or something like it's it's right. very like that the release with that music is like. It's it's like haunting because of the way it's cut in a you know like later on and it, just, it yeah but that that like that music is 
it's like and I don't yeah I don't know how to describe it but it's yeah, like it's really really important to the moment but 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 two different moments right because mm-hmm. it's like you've got the moment where Cassie and Cole are finally like you know like it's happening right and there's something that's like the mu- the way the music makes it frames it for lack of a better word is like there's something almost sacred about it but then you take that music as you're watching people's throats get cut and it's like (laughs) jarring right you're just like it is like a barrage of the senses of i like you know you're just like oh my god they're doing it they're actually taking their clothes off and then it's like oh no but their throats are getting cut ah like it's just so it's like a barrage of your emotions again how is this not the finale i don't get it Right, and like, you know, I don't want to get, like, it's a great, it's a great love scene, and it's about emotional connection, and it's not male gazy. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. It is not about... It's not sh- leery, and like, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or yeah. like, showing people's bo- body, per- mm-hmm. in particular, the woman's body, right? It doesn't... It's a man. It's a man that directed this episode, but it doesn't feel like. Sometimes you watch these scenes, and the way it's shot, it can, at least as a woman watching it, it can take me out of it mm-hmm. if it feels like it's about like showing off the woman's body, and that's not. That's not with the like. This is like this feels like a scene that is about love. Like I'll leave it at that. But yeah. like, and it, it feels it like. It very and very fittingly so. It feels important. Like it feels extremely Im- like it's a turning point in in the show, and and like it feels important to not just their story, but like to the show as a whole, to what the show is trying to say, and like the like you know like yeah. It, the, any way I, I imagine getting this like romantic payoff of like finally they admit they love each other, or like you know that that. Cole loves Cassie and and Cassie reciprocates with that kiss and every like I just whatever way I imagine that happening I think this was the best way <laughs> like that's and that's like the biggest compliment I can give give because it's like you know we have fan fiction and stuff now <laughs> to like fix stuff <laughs> but like I know but like this doesn't need fix it fic and that's like the that's the biggest compliment <laughs> It was worth it because it was worth the wait, mm-hmm. you know. Like mm-hmm. it made it worth the wait, and it, I was trying to actually think of another show. I feel like there have been great first kisses. Like I can think of the Super Bowl episode of Alias, like that. I don't think either of you watched, but it mm-hmm. aired after the Super Bowl, and it was like that was a first kiss. One of my favorite first kisses is the first kiss between Michael and Nikita at the end of season one. Yeah. Love that kiss, yeah. <laughs> but you don't usually get first kiss that is exquisitely executed and then, like, super emotional with the camera sweeping 360, like, <laughs> love scene back-to-back, right? It's usually, like, you get one or the other, right? Like, think about, like, Game of Thrones and their big epic to, um, I'll, I'll say it in a spoiler-free way, their big epic two characters getting together. And interestingly, Game of Thrones did some, Similar, like, yeah. After 12 Monkeys did, mm-hmm. I'll just make a note of that, <laughs> a cutting back and forth of a two characters finally t- getting together and having sex. The heart-shattering shatter- news that came with it. <laughs> right, intercut yeah. with the heart-shattering mm-hmm. news, and I kind of I was, was yeah, like... Yeah, I was actually trying to think if there were other examples. it was meaningless. Right, 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 right. Laugh cry. <laughs> Laugh cry. But, right, but I, 
actually, when I watched that Game of Thrones scene, I, I actually was like, that's really interesting because the only other time I've ever seen that done was many years before on 12 Monkeys. Like that. Yeah, I like I actually wondered if that was a trope, but then I was like those are the only two examples that I can think of that I know. So I don't I you know, two does not make a trope, but like I re- I truly wonder if there's others because it's a, it is a really good plot device for sure, especially when done well. Yeah, but I remember Game of Thrones, they didn't show us a kiss. It went straight to like, oh, wow, okay, they're happy. Oh, yeah, 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 they just closed the door. (laughs) I remember. I would just like to say. Oh, that kiss was I, so good. I'm glad we got the kiss. Oh. <laughs> the kiss was so good, right? Yeah. There's like, I, I think it is, of all of the gift sets for 12 Monkeys on Tumblr, if you go look at the tag, this moment is the number one moment on Tumblr for this show. If you go look at I the understand. Tag, <laughs> with the thousands of likes. And I'm going to say this because I feel like I'm going to get on my female fan of genre soapbox for a minute because I feel like in a lot of fan spaces, whether it's on Reddit, maybe less so on Twitter, at least we've carved out a corner of Twitter where there's a lot of female fans. But I feel like if you were to go on Reddit and look at the discussion for this show, a lot, or not that show, any genre show, there's there's like a dynamic on social media that don't that like kind of put down fans loving moments like this. Do you know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I I have seen this a lot. I mean, again, okay, no, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to like, yeah, uh, no, like, but the romantic moment, yeah, and, and, yeah. It, it's I've experienced a familiar thing with Holden and Naomi, who I love on the Expanse, but it, there's a similar pushback or like similar. Um, hesitance i guess to right like if you're not if if you are if you are super into the romantic aspect of a story then you're not a serious fan and uh, you know this show puts the puts the love story at the center and so i feel less so with that but like Mm -hmm. i just like it is so well done and it was it's so important to the story and we now know how important to the story right thinking about the end and thinking about that finale moment Right? Where Cassie might end the world yes. because the, she loves Cole. And so you had to nail this, right? Like, we have to, right? Like, it's not only the culmination of the will they or won't they that we thought it was at the beginning. Now, realizing the end and everything that their union means for the story and the potential outcome of everything, it just was so well done. So, like, and it honestly, it like, the, again, this and this show, this this sto- love story is is the center of it. But it, it it it's necessary also to like humanize shows like this. I think like to have these people at the center who who love each other so much, and we get to watch them, we get to experience their journey with them. Like that, no matter what crazy stuff is happening around them, or like no matter what plot device is being used or whatever. At the end of the day, that's like. That's what's that's what actually matters, and that's what people remember, and that's what people are drawn to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just that's just reality. That's like that is what people are drawn to characters. Um, a premise can only take you so far. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and this is like, oh, we're gonna take a premise that's d- been done, and it's like it's well known, but like what what makes it important, and what makes it matter? Yeah. Uh, and they did a really good job with that, for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is going to, you know, it'll go into what we see that their life will be like until we get up to Christmas. And it is... Oh, this, so beautiful. It is, but this is going to be a place that is both, you know, 
symbolic of love and happiness, but also of how fleeting that is. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we found we found out one meaning for the House of Cedar and Pine at the end of this episode, but it will continue to change in terms of like what it symbolizes all the way through the end, right? Like where our heroes get sort of their reward. Um, or like as Cassie says in the next episode, yeah, maybe time is on our side, right? So yeah, you know what? As much as much dread as it invokes that that our our favorite characters are being murdered while our other favorite characters are having sex, I think it still does not make us feel hopeless. Like I think this is still a very beautiful and hopeful and like. I, I still feel like there there's a lot of hope moving forward. Like, oh, you know, they finally got together. They're a team. They love each other. So things are maybe going to be okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Question mark. Yeah, but for sure it's not like this, like... It's not complete sinking dread that they're <laughs> that their sex scene is filmed along with this like insane death scene. Right, right. Like Titan <laughs> Right. What happens at Titan yeah. is like the red wedding. So it's like we got yeah. <laughs> we got the red wedding intercut with <laughs> like, you know, two people actually finding happiness. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There yeah, there's two th there's the thing of like we've been wait we've waited so long and this is amazing payoff and then all of a sudden you're like thank god this show is about time travel <laughs> because <laughs> because because yeah, that's like all of this is happening but at the same time I trust the 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 center the thesis of the show that that we're still going to keep trying. Yeah. Beep, how did we do? <laughs> I thought we had it together. I could hear most of it. <laughs> I, think, I thought we held it together pretty well. It's more the pitch than anything else. <laughs> it's not the words. It's just like maybe I'll need to lower that or something. <laughs> it could come with you. You could either. Yeah, no, it. I'm disappointed I'm that we didn't it. get feedback at least once, like like microphone feedback. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm proud of Alicia. We did it. We have. It's like one of our favorite romantic scenes in TV of all time. And I feel like we got through it with a shred of dignity left. And I'm proud of us. <laughs> all right. There was so. more poise than you might have assumed. <laughs> I tip my hat to you, madams. I will take that. All right. So are we ready for rabbit holes? Mm -hmm. I want to hear about the okay. music. Okay, so we have two rabbit holes. Um, uh, my rabbit hole, my, a Tina rabbit hole, and then an Alicia rabbit hole. Okay, the first one I've mentioned in passing before during um, 203, 100 years. Um, so there is a music project called The Caretaker, which is by um, a musician whose name is James Kirby. The first time we heard a song... Um, from his album, An Empty Bliss Beyond This World. It was playing in the phonograph um, in Tommy Crawford's Asylum when Cassie and Cole first arrived to save him. So the song that's playing in Titan, the Don't Follow the Creepy Music song, <laughs> is called All You're Going to Want to Do is Get Back Here. Creepy. <laughs> okay. So I'm not even, I mentioned this briefly on that other pod. So I, I'm going to explain in a second why I think this album is so interesting in with respect to the themes of the show, but in these two episodes in particular. But first, let's just break down the title of that song, right? So the House of Cedar and Pine <laughs> is a moment that they are always going to want to get back to, right? Whether it's Cole, like 
Cassie's going to say we're exactly where we're supposed to be. So whether it's Cole try, having to con- like grapple with having to erase it or Cassie talking about it at the gravesite with Shaw in season three, talking about how this was that one moment where she felt like they were where they were supposed to be before loss or when she's standing at Titan contemplating whether or not to stop the countdown. The house in Cedar and Pine, as we've talked about a lot, is like this place, this representation of, of a place that Cassie and Cole will miss and always wish that they could get back to, right? It also is playing at Titan, where Cassie will be trapped and where Cole is going to end this season and begin season three desperately trying to find. So, and then it's going to play again. This song is going to play again in 302 when Cole is unknowingly in the room with his infant son and then he disappears. <laughs> and then he spends all of season three trying to find oh my him, gosh. right? That's just, that's just the title of the song. So the project, the album is, um, was inspired by, so let, let me break this down. So, under, I think he's got different projects, but his project, The Caretaker, the intent, like the artist's intent is to explore memory, nostalgia, and melancholia. So I hope, is that how you say melancholy? Melancholia? Um, initially, so. initially, the project was inspired by the haunted ballroom scene in The Shining. Ah. Uh, and what he does is he uses, he samples... Like he went to a, a he went to a record store in Brooklyn, like in this shortly before the show was made um, in 2010, and bought a bunch of old vinyl ballroom jazz records, and then he uses samples of those. Like he then uses like sa- like sampling them like electronically, mm-hmm. and then distorts them. So that creepy music we're hearing in Titan is an electronic distortion in 2010 of ballroom music from the 1930s, which in and of itself is incredibly cool when you think about sort of like it's playing in a time traveling city that's moving around to different places. Right. But the reason why he did that was he was inspired by a study about people with Alzheimer's disease, about being able to remember the music that they listened to when they were younger, as well as where they were and how they felt when they listened to it, even when most of their other like memory functions had been depleted. So kind of how music is one of these last triggers and getting at that it's the tie between memory and emotion, how you felt mm-hmm in that moment, how that music made you feel that it's one of the last things that your mind holds on to, which I think is so interesting when you think about the theme of the show, death can be undone, love cannot, right? And what will happen in the next episode with Cassie remembering, right? And I know that there's a scientific explanation for it, right? They have the injections, right? You can, there's a scientific explanation for it. But there's also a theme that we will hear for the first time from Lillian. And then we will hear again from the Cassie at the end that love can't be forgotten. And actually, like, scientifically, what the study was exploring is feelings, memories of feelings of how we felt is one of the last things that are even a mind that is... you know, has Alzheimer's, it's one of the last things to go. So, you know, there's so much that's going on with sort of like the memory of tomorrow and a feeling of deja vu and 
mem- and and love memories of love not being able to be undone that I just think it's such a thoughtful and inspired choice to select during this season two songs from this album that was specifically an exploration of memory and, and you know like thinking about the idea that memories are all that we have to hold on to from time that has passed right and like what we remember is be- we remember things because of how we felt in those moments and that that creates our that makes up our identity honestly yeah i mean right like you can go down all kinds of sci-fi rabbit holes right about memory in our minds and like what makes Aww. us who we are right so anyway i thought fa- i think it's like a really beautiful project and and trying to manifest like what that would sound like through a mind you know where someone's losing their memories and trying to actually like explore what that would sound like if you were in their head I just it's a really beautiful project and I just think it was really like an inspired layer and I know you got to go down a rabbit hole right to even get there but it's a I think it's like a fascinating easter egg that they put in two different episodes in season yeah. three no that's a really interesting choice i actually wonder if somebody in the like crew or something like knows that musician and that's like also yeah or like, we that's still why they were so- we still have the composers i feel bad i always forget the season two composers but one of them is the guitarist for yeah. yes so I don't know. Like I'd be, I'm so curious. I, I, I'm hoping to ask next week if there's a story sort of behind why this album was chosen. But um, I've been real. I've been waiting for this episode to talk about it because I've been, I've just have like thought a lot about this project, and I think it's like really, really thoughtful. Yeah, that's amazing, Alicia. We're ready for your rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disclaimer this by saying that this is like a Wikipedia level knowledge that that I'm about to drop, and that's so, the level at which we for, operate on this podcast. For, yeah, for but I hope that one, like one of your listeners or one of us or like one of the 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 group of us, the <laughs> um, the witnesses, uh, knows knows a little bit more about this and can speak to it. But I was basically because this is um, the episode that the House of Cedar and Pine sort of lands as as it is uh, Cassie and Cole's house, and and that's where you know Ethan will be conceived, and that that it's like the important house. And I was wondering. Okay, yes, this is it's called Old Pine Road or whatever, but like why is it called that or like who chose that name? So I kind of went down this the rabbit hole of like what what is what is this referencing? And the rabbit hole is deep. <laughs> so it it turns out I and and hopefully this can be confirmed, but it's like a it come came up upon as a as a biblical reference as a as from the Hebrew Bible. So um Basically, again, Wikipedia level knowledge, but Solomon, the son of David, became the king and he wanted to build a temple. And and in some and in some interpretations and in some translations and explanations and stuff, they call it a spiritual house. House of God, of course, you know, it's a temple for for um, God. And so uh, I just thought it was interesting that it was it was referred to as a spiritual house and in an interpretation. And um, so, so, again, I, I wrote this down. Hiram the first of Tyre. Don't know who that is. <laughs> but uh, but um, he provided, guess what? Cedar and pine to oh! Solomon's desire to build his spiritual house. Um, and what, Sol- what Solomon gave him in return was food. So they actually came up with a deal. And when Solomon built this spiritual house, it said that... Um, in return for building it, the the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, and there was peace between between them and in in the land. So so first of all, 
the house of cedar and pine, a spiritual house for, so in this case for God, and, and it gives them wisdom after having built it. The, I will note that there's no, um, well, you know, there's um, ar- different arguments and different different references and all of that, but really seems to be no archaeological evidence of this temple. And, and mostly people seem to say that actually these temples would probably have been around like 6th century BC. Uh, but but in this case, they think that this first temple would have existed in 7th century BC, so even older. But it's it's essentially lost in time as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gone. Um, and in the Hebrew Bible, which is the only source, again, of this temple existing, it's said that the house was... Um, first attacked and then burned. <laughs> so, uh, sound familiar? <laughs> um, it's crazy, like, the similarities here. And then it was it uh, talked about the, the layout of the temple and, and what they know of it, that it had, like, a Phoenician layout and that it had three main sections. It had the porch, <laughs> oh which is, like, God. an odd thing. <laughs> right? It's, like, an odd thing to notice is important, but, like, it is an important visual for us in the story. Right? <laughs> So the porch, and then it had an outer sanctuary and an inner sanctuary. So to me, that's almost like what we, like the living room kind of that we're in all the time. And then where we end up with them, which is um, the bedroom as like the inner sanctuary. And so, so first of all, like a lot of similarity of this, of the spiritual house being built and, and, and no longer, and maybe no longer existing. Did it ever exist? We don't know. There's no evidence. You know, it's one of those things that it's, it's in history, but it's lost to time kind of thing. So, and, and it was burned in the story. It was burned. So there's like, oh, these are so many spooky similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I was looking it up, then, uh, the next thing that came up was the songs of the song of Solomon. And so it was like the first song of Solomon I actually have it up, but, um, but it's important to note that it's, so there's like two parts. The first part of it is the bride confesses her love. And the second part of it is that Solomon and his bride delight in each other. So it's like weirdly like on on theme. Like it's casserole <laughs> also delighted in one another. In one another. <laughs> but what's even more creepy or like not creepy, like amazing, but also like really eerie is that the song actually has three points of view. It has the young man point of view the young woman point of view, and it has an others, or sometimes it's translated as friends point of view, which is fascinating because we did have a friends point of view while they confessed their love and delighted in each other. And the friends point of view specific, like, so this is, um, the one that I'm reading is the um, English standard version. So like, if you look up the different versions, they, they have all like slightly different translations. But this one essentially, they all have to do with wine though. So there's there's one thing. So this one says, we will exalt and rejoice in you we will extol your love more than wine and rightly do they love you um and like considering that like wine and blood mm-hmm. <laughs> have a lot of overlap in 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 this uh context this i i find the fact that this is three points of view and others point of view which is their or a friend's point of view where they say that we will extol your love more than wine and they're dying it like in, in the scene, they're dying while while um, Cassie and Cole consummate their love. It's like, it's like a, cra- it's too crazy to be a coincidence. I'm like, oh right. my gosh, this reference is a real rabbit hole. Right, but you also have, and I, I can't wait to get to the next one, but just really quickly, you have, right, you, you have Cassie and Cole's point of view, right? Obviously, we're cutting to their friend's point of view. However, this place 
we have also seen from the witness's point of view. And mm-hmm. and it is a, for the followers or others, right, it is a place of religious significance because of their union, because of their son, mm-hmm. right? Yes, yeah. So from the other point of view, too, like this is the others could be, because, yeah, in some translation it translates to friends, and in some it goes to others. So it's like... It could mean either, <laughs> for sure, mm-hmm. which is also very spooky, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that, so, before even the end, so there's there's um, so there's different verses for the young man and the young woman. And part of what the young woman says um, is, she says, "I'm very dark, but lo- I'm I'm not reading all of the lines, but kind of some of them that relate." So she says, "I'm very dark, but lovely." And then in a couple of lines, she says, "Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry." With with me they made me keeper of the vineyards but my own vineyard i have not kept i was like that's that's actually heartbreaking mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i know there's like part of it that's like very literal here um because you know of what we're reading but also like in in terms of um 12 monkeys and and cassie's i guess mental situation where she's at right now which is basically like she has she has come to this point after making these decisions that for other people is what she, what she thinks she and, and to also to protect herself um that she has not kept her own vineyard quote unquote um which i think is like yeah to to reflect to reflect on cassie it, it just it makes me mostly really sad but then the end of it the end of this song again let's remember that the house was built of cedar and pine too in the other story this this song ends with behold you are beautiful my beloved truly delightful our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. What the heck? Right? So there are translations that will make it, that'll sometimes say cypress trees or sometimes juniper trees. It depends on the translation. Um, sometimes it'll be fir trees. But the, the modern English translation always says pine, the like contemporary English translation. Um, and essentially they're all, the, you know, they're, they're all evergreens <laughs> and the, our couch is green is sometimes translated as, um, grass, like that they're referring to grass. But wait, so. I have a question. I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a question, which I looked their, their couch <laughs> has stripes of green. Ah, I was like, wait, isn't that it's couch? Like, <laughs> it's like the first thing I went to look to. I love it. <laughs> I love because I was like, I'm going to be prepared for this question. <laughs> Their couch is partially green. Oh, my God. <laughs> but no, but definitely other other translations of this that are more, um, you know, more vi- like beautiful, I guess. More like uh, with a lot of imagery and stuff. <gasps> oh, my God, 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 oh, my God. Do you know what I just remembered? Holy shit. What? Okay. What? Um, Beep, do you remember when Amanda Schul and Terry Metalis? We're on the podcast, and Amanda told the story about the way that the scene was originally written before she was our Lord and Savior and insisted on a <laughs> sex scene. Is that it was originally written for Cassie and Cole to kiss, and then he laid her down on the couch. And yeah, then but she, she and, said it was like a ragged bachelor. And she pad said it was like a ragged. And then, and then she was like, "That dingy couch is not sexy." But I think it's really like. I know this is a total rabbit hole and it's so fun, but the scene as originally written was them on the couch. And you've mm-hmm. got 
Behold, you're beautiful, my beloved. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. Like, what? <laughs> and it, like, it works both ways. Even if they talk about, the like, even if that our couch is green line is actually our bed is soft. So, like, in one translation, I read our, our bed is soft grass. Or, like, there's there's grass imagery involved. So, I'm like, okay, you know what? Even if it's grass, it kind of works. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, yeah, the couch is green thing, I, like, it made me laugh. And it immediately made me go back. Let me check. <laughs> There are there are stripes of green in there. And yeah, no, but that last like when I read that and it was like the young woman, the young man, the others and like it ends with the beams of our house or cedar rafters or pine. Oh, my goodness. There it is. Yeah. But Alicia, what is so great is like just stepping back. It is even like in the Bible, the house that Solomon built has religious significance, but Mm -hmm. then also has personal significance of experiencing you know like love right with, yeah and with, wisdom and that house that it's like part of it was that house gives him wisdom yeah and so it's like for cassie and cole that is a place that is like symbolic of their love for the army of the 12 monkeys with the exception of olivia right um i mean season four olivia but it's still important to her mm-hmm. right is a symbol it is like the symbol of their religious faith, right? It is where their savior will be conceived. And so there's like this reverence about it. And that's where even season four, Olivia chooses to communicate with her followers. And so it has dual, uh, you know, du- dual yeah. significance then, in, 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 in the Bible. It has dual significance in the show. It's like fascinating. Well, and the fact that we don't really know if, it, you know, like we can't prove like his, you, there's like historians that say, oh, there, there's some things that we found in that spot that prove that it was from that time versus this time or whatever. Like they can't actually prove. And again, this was like Wikipedia level. So maybe there's like more literature out there or more recent work out there that's been done. But it's also in a locate, you know, it's in a politically tricky location to do excavations and stuff. So it's also there's a limit. There's a constraint in that sense. But like. It's kind of lost to time if it if it was there. It like exists out of time. It exists in this story. And like there's that very odd sense of like we have to believe that it existed, I guess. Right. <laughs> which is um yeah, which is very uh yeah, very relevant to, to these guys too. I guess so when, when they finally come out of time I- ideally, like in the good ending, they come out of you know, they come out of time or out of that um out of that timeline and and time actually starts moving again and and this exists and and now it's their home like versus you know did it ever exist or did it stop existing like there's so many questions about this 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 biblical temple house of god and 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 this house and um yeah no there this rabbit hole was like what i i'm sure there's a there's more to it i like yeah. it's because it was just this was just the surface yeah, I mean, you know, I, this show has the smartest fans, so I'm, you know, maybe on the live watch, somebody had already picked up on this, but it's the first mm-hmm. time I've heard anything about it. Beep, have you ever heard before? No, I've never heard anyone give kind of a background on the formation of the House of Cedar and Pine and why it was referred to that way. And it is very specific and always repeated the house of cedar and pine, right? And it is unusual, right? Like, to, so yeah, I mean, who knows, but it sure is a fun rabbit hole. Thank you so much, Alicia. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, yeah, it was fun to go down. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to open all of these articles. Oh my gosh, you guys, we did it. Oh my God, we Ooh. only have, and we only have the season two finale left. And then 
like we're officially halfway through. It's crazy. Um, Alicia, it was so fun to have you on. I'm like, I'm I'm so glad that I got to flail about uh, casserole with you on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, you will definitely be. You'll definitely be back. Um, hopefully, you'll be back in season three. I know you have staked a claim on One Minute More. <laughs> um, your favorite episode. I but- think that was the first thing that ever happened. <laughs> yes. You know, it's it's very true. I was like, nope, this you you started the conversation, then I was like, that's the one. What? <laughs> I can't get to the document, but one minute more. <laughs> but this was really fun. This is one of my favorite episodes as well, and uh, do super enjoy talking to Terry about the finale because oh my god, I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, yeah, it's so exciting. So guys, next episode, Mr. Metellus will be joining us to break down the season two finale. Memory of Tomorrow, which he wrote. So definitely um, stay tuned for that. If you guys don't have anything else, then we'll see you soon.